I'm doing like a, I'm doing like a musical bed for like a Radio One show. Oh, okay. Well, see, I can't use the real version of the song, so I've got this MIDI. It's better than Partridge. So, do you like this musical bed? Should I keep it going for the ne- whole, next two hours? Next two hours? No, I'm alright. I'm alright. Oh. I thought that was quite. I thought that was working pretty well. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to the 3T RPG podcast. I'm Harrison Hunt, and oh. who's wait? Oh, oh, Don't talk s- at the same time as me. S- sorry, I thought I was Instant. on. Instant. Okay. And you, with shh, after you. with me is Sean Hunt. Hello, hello. Uh, yes, I am the brother of Harrison. I am Sean Hunt, as you can tell by the last name. That is good to be good. Fun fact for you, there, fact fans. And Fash fans out there, but yeah, so um, yeah, obviously we didn't we didn't have Nick this time because uh, for scheduling reasons, and James also. So we got we well basically went through my entire phone list, um, <laughs> and uh, nobody was available. So that's why you're here. Um, I mean, that's sadly actually true. That's not even. A I joke. was going to get my local drug dealer to be on, but he was busy. Sadly, he was busy uh, pushing pushing keys in it. Um, right. So this is an RPG show all about tabletop role playing games, and today we have a show so large, Sean, so packed full of content. Uh, yeah. So we got feedback. We got news punch. We got what we've been slaying this time. We got the main subject, which is games you can play with a whole family. Uh, Honestly, if if your family are a pack of weirdos, no, 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 we're actually doing it this time. Oh, family games. Uh, what was this the fifth time you tried to do it now and then failed miserably? People like, still get duped by it, man. And I, I'm just going to reveal it now. We are duping you, but the thing is, if we call the episode the thing what we're reviewing, nobody will listen to it. Oh, but, suppose, but, but people yeah. still get fooled. We got a lady once that listened to one of the Family Games episode and complained that we were swearing during an episode meant to be about family games. But she obviously didn't listen to the rest of the episode because it wasn't about that at all, mate. Yeah, wasn't that the guy that wrote the erotica? No, no, that wasn't it. That was someone else, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I don't think she listens anymore, so we can say what we like about her if we want. But uh, yeah, after the, um, after the main subject of family games, we're going to go into Electro Letters. Do you want to do some feedback? I'd like to. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch. The feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. But Garrett Weinstein, he says, are you guys getting back to recording actual plays anytime soon? Also, when will you do another episode on family games? And Garrett, that's happening now. Can we confirm that? No, we well, I, I, you can, but I, I won't. I don't want to be putting the fire in line, to be honest. Good point. We're doing it now, right? And actual plays, they're coming soon, because we can meet up again. I should point out to the listeners at this point, we are drinking during this podcast, because for once we're recording during an evening. We usually do Sunday mornings, but this time we're recording in the evening. Just to prove that's true, listen to this. Cheers. Well, it sounded like a tin can, but I'm drinking out of a stein. So, no, not a stein. What the fuck do you call this thing? Um, tankard. tankard tankard so yeah we um if it gets worse towards the end then please excuse us in it uh yes and i would highly recommend uh french grain vodka by ignis from lidl good vodka 
Ignis, the um, character from Final Fantasy Fifteen. I forgot about that. So that's what he's doing now with his life. That's what. He, that's what. Making he's doing. booze for German supermarkets. Good. Well, it is it is nice stuff. I can I can I can say that. Can we say that? Uh, yes. Are we willing to lay ourselves on the line for little vodka? Yes, I, I'm willing to. Yes. Uh, why French vodka though, man? Why is it Why is it French? French aren't known for their vodka. Well, Grey Goose is French, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then they are known for it, so that's why it's nice, I guess. But Garrett Weinstein, yes, we're doing a Family Games episode now and we will do an actual play soon. The only other feedback we really got was for the Low Life episode. Did you listen to that one? I did, yeah. Give I it did. a rating out of 15. Ooh, uh, 14 and a half, actually. I, re- I did enjoy that one. Even though I knew everything about Low Life, it was good to hear your spin on it, actually. I, enjoy- I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, d- I hate how sincere that review was. I was sort of like, I sort of like <laughs> angling for a joke there, man. I was, I, I was, really, I was really trying uh, to be horrible, but I couldn't. I couldn't. That's nice of you, man. But yeah, so yeah, most people just said, you know, because we, we called the episode the RPG where you play, play a sentient pile of trash, and most people just said, so they made an RPG out, out of my life, and things like that. And knowing our listeners, that is true. Terry Hansen and Robert Woford both said that. So thanks for the feedback. And that is it for feedback, right? So let's get on to some news. So, a D&D hip-hop album is coming. That is the headline. And I don't usually like to do Kickstarters in the news, but Dizzy Roseblade, a rapper, is making an album called The Bard Chronicles. And he did a Kickstarter video for it. And I'll play a clip of that now. Because I've been playing D&D since I was introduced to it in BSA. The older kids invited me to play. I wrote a Nat 20 and from that day it was in my DNA. And then I went and got my BFA. I picked filmmaking and played it with the college crew. DMing in dormitories all across the quad they knew. That guy's a sick rapper. Andy runs a modded brew of 3.5. Vampire and Godfather too. But now it should be obvious and qualified. I could so what do you think of this? Do you know what? I, I will say, uh, the dude does have bars. He does have some nice bars, but I think we could have done... You don't have to shout. Oh, sorry. You uh, speak at a normal volume. Um, no shouting. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm a carer, so I've been at work all day, so I've had to talk at the top of my voice the whole day. So stop doing it. What? Because you're speaking to old deaf people. I'm not old deaf people. I'm younger than you. And the people that listen to this... I assume they can hear because they they listen to it. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so um, basically, w- what I was saying was the dude has bars. He has some nice bars, but um, because it's sort of RPG related, um, I feel like he had some like cringy filters on his videos and stuff. Yeah. So the the Kickstarter video is like it's him with a like a wizard filter over his face, right? Yeah. And I think it would have actually just been better if it was him standing there, maybe in front of an RPG shelf. Or something, because it was actually fire, pretty much, right? But it was, but you you kind of chastised it earlier for being a bit too modern. And I, the thing is, I don't want to turn this into a hip hop podcast. That's our other one. <laughs> but the thing, but but this one, like we, we, this, but this song, like I thought it was really fucking good. Yeah, it was. It was good. It was good. If yeah. the rest of the album is like that, then it should be good. I just kind of wanted to give it a shout out because I thought the guy had actual skill. And like, if you've ever heard any other nerdcore rap. It's never very good. It's not very good. This still has a tinge of that to it, like. But um, I mean, uh, he was actually. But know, only only lyrically though. Like I find that like most nerdcore rappers, they don't really know how to like construct 
the flow of something. Do you know what I mean? No. They tend to either keep it the same throughout or like the same meter throughout the whole thing or it'd be like, you know, like MC Front a lot is one I actually like, right? But he is from Brooklyn. So it's sort of like, I guess he grew up around that type of music. But it's, it's kind of like, you know, the way he raps, he sort of does this like, do you know, like it's really like sort of like cut off each word. Like it's really weird. But, and, and also like, there's another one called 2D4, who's the biggest, fattest man in the world. And, and somebody I know once made a joke. He was like, 2D4, more like 2D12. <laughs> but yeah, 2D4, I once saw him at Con and Cobb rapping on the stage to Zangief's theme. And I'm like, this is the problem, right, with nerdcore rap. Because if you want to be, like, accepted as a rapper, as well as just a nerd, right, I think you need to conform a bit more to what hip-hop actually is supposed to be. Do you know what I mean? I agree. Um, and this guy seems to be doing that well. And it's uh, sort of a simple, nice simple lyrics over a simple beat. And it's like, it's quite fire. Um, it's basically all in double time as well. So it's, it's pretty good. It's and, pretty good. And uh, yeah, But the only problem I had was if you're trying to get people to kickstart this thing, I don't think that was a good way to do it. He should have put a bit more money because it's, it's quite quite good like the the chorus in that talks about what the kickstarter promises and all this stuff and it's really quite good but he should have just put a bit more money behind the video because he's got these cool little animations in it of his D party doing shit but his stupid face is there the whole time with that horrible filter on it yeah and it's exactly. like it, he should have just put a bit more money behind it or just gone full animation for the whole thing because it was simple animation but it, it kind of added to it I don't know but anyway yeah check that out listeners uh, Dizzy Roseblade with the Bard Chronicles Volume 1 uh, their first song is on YouTube and obviously the Kickstarter page but yeah well worth a, a looking I think anyway that is it for news. Fuck all is happening. I mean, PaizoCon was recently, but uh, was recently, was recent, who, would just happened. I uh, can't talk. Who who was uh, at it? And also, what did they did they reveal? I mean, Jeff were they... Bezos. Jeff Bezos was there. No, he wasn't. Sorry. Um, but I mean, the, the joke there is that nothing really did happen, and uh, nobody cares about Pathfinder anymore. So nobody really does. But uh, <clears throat> uh, there are a few people that uh, want to play Pathfinder Savage Worlds Edition. Which is the weirdest thing in the world. Why does that exist? Why is this happening? Uh, I don't know. I thought you could maybe shed some light on that because uh, I wouldn't... Well, have, here's, here's what's been, happening. I've been racking my brains. Savage, here's what's happening. is Pinnacle. Uh, they will buy up any old shit property as long as it's cheap enough. And Pathfinder currently isn't doing very well and that's where we're at. Oh, It's, oh, it's like the Savage Worlds thing of yeah. like... You know, like, it'll be like, you know, uh, here's Solomon Kane. It's the other book by the bloke that wrote Conan, because we couldn't afford Conan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's like yeah. the same with this. It's like Pathfinder. Finally, playing the world of D&D in Savage Worlds. It's not really D&D, but it's sort of an offshoot of D&D, the Savage Worlds. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's a full-on pinnacle. It's like, we're just we're just going to buy up the, sh- the second version of D&D, like the second best. And use that. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense, yeah, because, uh, yeah, nobody does care about Pathfinder anymore. But we're already, uh, with uh, Savage Worlds, we're already inundated with fantasy stuff anyway, so it's like... Well, but, but the only, like, high fantasy, you know, classic D&D type shit for Savage Worlds was that fucking one... I can't remember the name of it, but it was by um, uh, Sean Patrick Fannin. Right. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so nobody's. In, uh, that's not getting renewed anytime soon. I forget what the fucking name of it was, 
But yeah, I think that Savage Worlds is missing a decent high fantasy setting like that. But did anyone really play Pathfinder for the setting? Everyone I know made their own setting uh, and everyone, just used the rules. I think everyone played Pathfinder more for the looting, I think. Yeah, that's what, looting and killing, raping and shooting. That's it, yeah. And that's... Exactly. And that's news. All right, let's do some. Uh, let's do some. What we've been saying. Yeah. What you slaying? <laughs> so um yeah, Sean. Um, you have recently uh, broken up with a. Can we say horrible woman? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go ahead. Wait, wait, you're actually allowing me to talk about this. Yeah, go on. Withered hag. Yes, yes. Um, and now toothless crone. Uh, not toothless. No, she's the, the crone. Crone. <laughs> crone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that means after a year and a half away from the group, you've come back. Um, I've returned. Yeah, I'm allowed to do things again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, so you left the crone. You've come back, and we, you've been you've been playing tough guys with us. Oh yeah, yeah. Since you came back, um, so tough guys is an English gangster setting expansion for wise guys, right? And um, since Sean's come back, we started a new storyline. Uh, he's joined the gang, but the gang has become excommunicado, which means that that basically uh, they've been accused of doing a killing on neutral ground, and what that means is that they're they're not, they're like free game. Any gang in London can kill them, and there's a 250 million yen reward on their head, which is basically 1.6 million dollars. But the annoying thing is, uh, we, we we just happened to be there. We were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and this bloke got shot. And now we that now it's pinned on us because we were there. Is exactly. And so and the the bloke that got killed happened to be the uh, the Oyabun. I think that's what it's called, Oyabun of the. Uh, of the Yakuza, and they just cut a fucking sweet deal with the Yakuza that are like coming into London, and at that moment his head explodes, right, uh, for, killed by some unseen assassin. But all of his goons and any people on the streets, they saw it and they think you guys killed them because you were there, right? Yeah. And so what was kind of interesting, like like well not interesting, I can't say it's interesting because it's a plot I wrote, but the 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 sort of the weird thing about it is that the um, the gangs of London found out suspiciously fast that this had happened. Like, not 30 seconds after they got out of the warehouse where this guy was killed, all the gangs were after them. They had triads on their ass, Russians, Albanians, everybody. And um, the way I kind of did this was they... they, they Whole session was about getting out of London, right? And uh, but also tracking down the guy that really did the killing, so you can clear your name. And uh, yeah, so they were trying to get out of London. And as they were sort of making plans to escape unseen out of London, I would put a timer on my phone. And every time they did something that drew further attention to them, I would halve the timer. Um, and then you would end up. And, and if the timer ran out, another sort of group of gangs or gr- group of gang members would turn up and start firing at you. Um, so yeah, it got pretty fucking weird, basically. What, what was it that um, it was, there was a point where we split off, and I went to go and chase this this guy, the actual assailant. I went to go and chase him, and then what, what did the other people do? So um, essentially, these guys, if you remember, all the guys like basically escaped into a Woolworths, which is like a, a really shit department store from the nineties, um, and they, they basically escaped upstairs into their storeroom. Two of them went down into the body shop next door by climbing through the windows. 
and uh, Sean's character Lugash, this Russian guy, and Tiffany, uh, one of the members of the Holloway firm, they escaped out the front door looking for the bus they believed the real assassin to have escaped on. And what ended up happening, and this was pr- probably the coolest part, because they got on the bus, went to Red Hill, because they knew the guy, f- guy fleed in that direction, probably to get to Gatwick Airport, right, to go back to Japan. And what was kind of funny is that when they got to Red Hill, they obviously get started on by two bus drivers because they're going around asking questions, <laughs> breaking necks, things like this. And it's, it's like, as soon as the two bus drivers come out, one of the players, this hooligan called Mo Exotic, he just smashes their heads together, killing them instantly, right? And then it's like, well, the other players at the table, like, we, you know, we could have asked them for information about who rode on the bus, you know, but uh, I suppose yeah. that's one way of doing it. Well, we wanted to clear our names, and now there's a trail of more crimes, basically. A big crime trail. A bit, I mean, you, you did a chase with a police helicopter as well, like... It was insane. And then, right at the last minute, because they'd obviously killed these two bus drivers and, and brought more attention to them, um, I halved the timer, and it was going right down. And Sean, you, his character, Lukash, was like, he goes up to a cab rank and tries to steal a taxi, right? Gets in it, and then everyone has to pile into the car. You had to bring it round. And there was 16 seconds left on the timer before the police were going to show up. And Sean was rolling and spending bennies and re-rolling all within the space of 16 seconds and with one second to go. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, like I, I, yeah, just just in that dying second, I rolled the dice. And then as soon as I did it, it it went to zero, screeched off. And uh, yeah, I'm on my way to Gatwick Airport. Uh, Yeah, so you went off to Gatwick Airport, but you heard about an attack that had happened in your mansion in the countryside, right? So... Most of the players went to go and save the mansion, but Sean went after the guy because he's new to the gang. So you're currently on a plane with the guy you believe to be the assassin headed to Hong Kong for a layover while the other guys are fighting their mansion, uh, which has been set on fire by the triad. So Yeah, I had to sort of... uh... I just sort of uh, bring my airport knowledge, really. Uh, I didn't meta as the character knowing it, but I was sort of saying there's no real direct flights uh, from from uh, from Gatwick Airport to Japan. There, that was a mistake on my part because I happen to know that there are direct flights from Heathrow. Yeah. So yeah. it would make, but then I suppose the only reason that he would go to Gatwick was if he was trying to fly on a budget, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and it, and it was probably more convenient. But still, I mean, that's where we ended the game and it's kind of, it's a quick summary, but that is basically where we're at. It's kind of a cool storyline at the moment because they're trying to make do an investigation while also being hunted down by a load of people because there's a $1.6 million prize on their heads. And it's like... I actually don't know how this next session's going to work or go. I, uh, but, I the, but the title worries me. Uh, it's called Lugash Goes to Japan. Uh, I'm a bit concerned. Well, you are headed to Japan, so that's probably a giveaway. I know, but uh, it's going to be the biggest split at a party. Bit, well, you know. well, you're going to be on your own in a foreign country. And Sean, having only recently joined the game, is several several levels below everyone else. He's like novice one or something like that, right? So it's like, in Savage Worlds, that's basically level two. Although level ups are kind of not quite as powerful as a lot of other games, but... Yeah, so you, you're on your own in a strange country you don't know. Um, but then Lugash, he is... Part of his backstory is that he's fleeing from the Russian mafia. So to an extent, it kind of fits the character. Fleeing to another country. Oh, it does, yeah. He's, he's used to it, really. Get slightly closer to the mic. Yeah, so... 
Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed it. It's been good having you back as well. How's it been? How do, are you enjoying playing Savage Worlds again? Yeah, I really am. Uh, yes, yeah, not... Yeah, I am a lot. It feels, uh, you know, it's just so easy to get back into, really, isn't it? And, yeah, and, yeah. It, you know, because we've been playing high action, I find that a few other few other fucking uh, games do gunfights quite as well as Savage Worlds. Yeah, you're right, actually. You're right. Uh, yeah, apart from... Actually, yeah, probably the best. Uh, Call of Cthulhu has that sort of gritty death thing to it with the gunfight no but, but that's you, just like that's really... just like you it, you will die if you get into a gunfight it's yeah. not exactly i mean savage worlds is just tactically i think one of the better games but yeah oh yeah yeah it's been good it's been very good but also uh over the weekend uh savage con savage con happened um so i talk about the games that i played there because i basically i ran one and played in two and the first one i ran was savage golden axe and all i did was take the there's a setting for Savage Worlds called uh, Beasts and Barbarians, which is basically Conan. And uh, I just took like all of the edges and hindrances and things like that from that and just built the characters using Beasts and Barbarians, basically. Um, had all of the all of the people that you can play in Golden Axe 1, 2, and 3, excluding the two women, because they're basically the same character and almost look identical. And excluding the cat person, because I don't like furry shit, basically. <laughs> so I had to make up my own character for the sixth player. And so I just I took the skeleton sprite from Golden Axe and made a, a skeleton called Bone Dog, who was a pacifist. How did um, how did the bloke, the, the bloke on the back of a big bloke work then? Did so, you the, so yeah, so Goa, um, he's a character from Golden Axe 3, right? And he's basically got Gilius Thunderhead, the dwarf, on his back. So what I did is I gave him the Beastmaster Edge, but instead of having a pet, he had a pet dwarf. Oh, and the dwarf just smart. repeated his own name like a Pokemon. He was like, Gideon. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was funny is, basically, it was a really simple plot. They're in a pub, and yes, I know I started a game in a pub, but what happens is is they're, they're in a pub, and then suddenly this it's like a low-life pub on the, on the harbour. Suddenly this guy falls in through the door, and he's got a map carved into his back to Death Adder's treasure on an island that was believed not to exist, right? And so they basically just follow this treasure map, and, you know, after fighting everyone in the pub for it, and go to Death Adder's uh, lair for to try and get all his gold. And then I did, like, a dramatic task for each player, so it's like an extended skill challenge, to make it through... A mega dungeon so each round represented 10 hours of exploring in a dungeon and goa and basically with his pet dwarf goa died and got lost in the maze but the dwarf survived so he ended up playing an extra <laughs> in the last scene um and awesome. yeah i basically had it so that he had great luck common bond and had an extra starting benny for being half folk even though he's a dwarf but yeah so he uh, overall that player started with 10 bennies um Ten. Yeah, because his pet would had the all the edges to give him bennies. Basically. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, I get you. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, he ended up dying. They ended up uh, killing Death Adder, stealing his treasure, and then we did. There's a thing in Beasts and Barbarians and in Lankmar where you pull a card for carousing, and it's 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 kind of like how did your because it's it's a barbarian setting. You're always going to lose half your money every time you you get it because you go back to the city and drink it all away. So, but you pull a card and it tells you what your character is doing. So some of them, like Nick's character, he was playing a, uh, a hawk person and he was a priest and uh, he ended up turning to drink and drugs after fighting Death Adder and lost <laughs> all of his money. We had another one that started a dojo and lost half his money on that. We had another one that took over Death Adder's position and became the new bad guy. So we're going to do a sequel next year. 
So it was pretty, yeah, it was got pretty fucking weird. But yeah, it was, it was, I just wanted to do something simple and like, just let's go and kill some shit. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a 9am game. And you know, exactly. And uh, everyone's going to, everyone there would have known what Golden Axe was and they would have known basically what it was about really straight away. Well, that's the thing as well. Like the good thing about Golden Axe and about barbarian settings in general is that like, there's no, there's no complexity to it. It's literally just, you steal my thing. I kill you. And it's like you had six players and we really leaned in on fantasy stereotypes. So like the woman, for example, the token woman that's in every Golden Axe game starts wading into the fight at the beginning of the game. And one of the thugs is like, I don't see why a woman should join a fight <laughs> and stuff like this. And and her armor is a, is a thong. Or well, that's and also that's a good thing for equality because in Golden Axe, nobody's really wearing any clothes. Oh, but that's a good point. Yeah. Also, in Beasts and Barbarians, there's an edge called Bikini Hero. So you get extra toughness when you're not wearing armour because you're better at fighting with it. So you're harder to hit without armour on. Okay. Which is pretty cool. So I gave that to her and to Axe Battler, who is like, which is annoying, right? Because the main character in Golden Axe, the guy with the sword, he's called Axe Battler. But Gilius Thunderhead has the Golden Axe. He uses a sword, but he's called Axe Battler. <laughs> but yeah, so I gave them the Bikini Hero thing. And yeah, like you said, there was a, one guy in the game that didn't know Golden Axe. And he was like, so I don't really know the setting. And I'm like, that's... That's really doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like the story in, in those games isn't the point, is it? It's just no, killing it's not. Shit. And um, uh, even if you didn't like Golden Axe, you're probably under 25. But um, even if you didn't, um, you could sort of glean something from the title, I think. Yeah, well. or just take one look at a screenshot and you're like, all oh, right, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was the fun of it. It was just a lot of fighting and. Uh, that was it. I just wanted a linear game for the morning. I think it went pretty well because there was no obligation for anyone to take it even mildly seriously. And at one point, uh, one character went to swing his sword in the pub. It got stuck in the ceiling. But then um, the giant, who there was a giant on the team, um, because he couldn't fit through the door, he lifted up the pub like in a cartoon and placed it elsewhere, like lifting off the walls and the roof. So we had stupid shit going on, basically. I mean... It was good, but after that, I ended up playing Secret Files of Section D, The Shopping Trolley of the Gods. Okay? You having that title? Wait, is that... Uh, who, who ran that one? Alan Rowe. So oh. this is an upcoming Savage World setting, and it's basically diesel punk World War Two spy thriller. Um, so it's like, you might fight Hitler in a mech. Do you know what I mean? But it's all about investigation, spy thriller shit, going to far-flung places and shit like this. That sounds really good, actually. It uh, was it was pretty fucking cool. Um, there was... The thing is, though, Alan Rowe, right, and he, I think he listens to this, he's never finished a game on time. He always goes over. And I think in spy things, because you always have twists and turns, he puts in, like, eight scenes for a four-hour game, and it's like, it's not going to work, mate. No, I, I've heard that, but I've heard, uh, I've heard his games are, like, absolutely... Uh, like off the off the chain or you know they are a complete fire they're really fucking good i mean it's like it's like equal parts like silly classic indiana jones shit and really cool fights basically and like a cool storyline i mean this one basically is typical indie indiana jones shit right because it's like a, a film that i don't think i've ever watched but it's like we go to a tomb and we hear or, or egypt right and we hear that the nazis are after something called um it's like it's called like the basket of Imhotep or something like this, and it's in a, a tomb called Supam Arket. 
and um so yeah we've got to get the uh, yeah i think it's called the the basket of the gods or something like that and the thing is it will grant one wish for an object as long as you um it can fit in the basket right but you have to bring it to another place that, that had a pun in it but yeah we had to bring it to another place the nazis end up taking it off us but what he did is like as we came out of the tomb there was like 200 nazis surrounding us and he was what he was hoping for is like right you've got two options you can stay and fight or you can put your hands up and surrender and i'm like have you ever met a player before like like because he, he said right i'm gonna have to just write in that you get captured and i'm like yeah that would be better because it was a great adventure but the only thing is i think we went over time because we were like 200 nazis i like those odds if you um yeah, well, I mean, at that point, you would um, you would normally just give up. That's what I was going to say. Um, like that's basically forcing your hand at being captured. But I'm I mean, get- but if it fits in the plot, that's fine. But he wanted to make it feel like our, our decision, and of course, players never do no, that, that, especially at a con game. And I had an adventure card, right? That was like you can play this at any time to get the one-time use of a contact. And so I'm like. Okay, um, I'm going to use this, and uh, my buddy from the IRA happens to be walking through the desert at this particular time, and uh, I'm going to buy a bazooka off him. And then, um, yeah, but he, um, and I fired it at their Zeppelin and did so low damage, it just went boom and just blew off the thing and just went off and killed some village somewhere. But yeah, so it was a pretty fucking good adventure. And I'd say there was the highlight of it, right, was that at one point uh, I decided to steal a truck, and I played a Benny to influence the story. And said, can it be um, a Mexican food truck? And uh, I recruited some Italian mobsters that just happened to be on holiday at the same time to be extras with us in the last <laughs> fight in a Mexican food truck. And the Scottish character was looking for haggis in there. So, I mean, that, that just shows you how silly it got towards the end. But fucking great game. Yeah, look look out for it. Secret Files of Section D. When it comes out, I think it's going to be a, a, like a mainstay of Savage Worlds. Because it is really fucking good. Uh, very last game I played was the tale of Padaman Shawabi. Um, the tale of Padaman Shawabi. Uh, um, say that again, please. Tale of Padaman Shawabi. Thank you. So this was um, a historical fantasy game with a quite simple plot, but we we were playing uh, Alexander the Great's minions, and they were like real characters from actual history, and we were. Essentially, the plot was that a mystic had come to Alexander the Great and said that there was an, a threat in southern India that was threatening his campaign to take over various parts of the world. Uh, we didn't know what the threat was, only that a mystic had said it, so we better follow his advice. Go to southern India, investigate, find out it's a snake cult, and then basically kill the cult. Quite simple, but the, he did two things that were really cool. First of all, like we played heroic level characters. So we, it's a con game, and we were playing like super powerful fucks, right? And secondly, he did this cool thing where, like, to emulate the journey of getting to the snake cult's base, um, we basically did this thing he called it Alexandrian interludes, which is mildly pretentious. But basically, one person decides on the obstacle in the road and gives it to another player. So um, one that we had was that we got to a bridge and we saw that it was... Uh, possessed like what the area was haunted by loads of ghosts who died in the previous war or something like this I decided at one point for another player that there was a tiger in the way and then they kind of give us that person then has to do a role to overcome it and then if they do they get a Benny if not you know you might take wounds or fatigue and that simulates 
the travel and the players get to input on it. Basically. Oh, that's quite clever, actually. Uh, quite good in, in, in the case of a one-shot, actually. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, even if the players go super weird with it, it's only a one-shot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, it was really good. And we all t- it was three players and we all kind of picked like pretty pretty decent things. And we were taking it seriously for like the first half as well because it was quite a serious game. But as I got more drunk because it was the final game, I kind of... I kind of got got like more stupid, and right at the end, right, we see there was one guy that we had who's like a woodsman, and he sees this big snake monster, and there's loads of its minions in the way, so he climbs up an adjacent wall, and I see that fully armored, and I'm just like, fuck it, I'll give it a go. I've been succeeding like everything up to this point because we're playing heroic characters, right? And I go to run up the wall and then just chop at the snake thing. I fail, run headfirst into the wall, getting fatigue from bumps and bruises. Then try to overhead throw my sword, my great sword, right, at the snake, <laughs> and it just bounces off the wall and comes back and hits me. So it was like, I'm 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 quite glad I wasn't there because I would have been uh, probably holding my head. Um, I don't know, like I can't really. I mean, I'm I'm always playing the straight man, so uh, yeah. And well, in this case, it was basically like three straight men. The synergy was really good, and um, but right at the end, I was just like. He said, you've got four rounds to kill this thing, otherwise this evil thing they're trying to summon is going to come, right? So we, so that's why I was kind of desperate. I was just like, I'm going to try anything I can, because if I start wading into the goons, that could be four rounds just to get past them. No, that's a fair point, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it just didn't work out, because it was a fucking stupid thing to do, basically. I mean, try, trying to throw a, a greatsword. I mean, at best, it would probably, like, slap into him, right? But yeah, that was it. That was SavageCon. Those are the uh, we had obviously other games running during the day as well, and it was really fucking good, basically. That does sound good. Um, I wanted to ask when when will uh, the live Savage what, Human Contact Savage, so, what, Savage what, Savage Con become Savage Con? So yeah, um, next year we'll probably still do it in April, um, but we were thinking of doing the Saturday. Um, or as the in-person one and still doing Savage Net online because obviously okay. we, we had a lot of people come to this one because it was online and free no that's I mean? a good, good point yeah no you should you should do both then because the, for the listeners that don't know the room that we rent out for Savage Con each year is a, is a function room attached to a, a hotel and a pub basically and um annoyingly a christian group has booked it on every sunday just as an an ongoing thing right so saturday we go there and sunday we've always had to scramble to find another venue and the last time we went to a pub called the junction and they you know it's just sunday it's usually going to be quiet like one or two people in but they they didn't tell us there was a fucking football game on that day and still took our fucking money right i it would cost so much that even the ticket sales didn't didn't like make up and and it was like then it's, it's very annoying because they said the pub was ours they said uh we had it for a few hours and stuff and then uh they decided to invite loads of people in and d- despite the fact that we said we'll pay for drinks and we were we were paying through the nose for drinks it's I an mean, expensive pub and it is yeah it was really cunty of the guy to to do that like when we'd rented out the fucking place but it was like and also the football guys were getting annoyed because we were making noise and it's like hang on a minute we're not we're not getting annoyed at you cheering at your bloody football match no it's not no, neither us or their fault it was the pub's fault really and well, uh, the annoying fact is um i mean it was great um but we had to go back to james's yeah we just went to somebody's house and it was a little bit embarrassing but Nonetheless, the the point is is that we're going to continue next year. And I, I this well last year when we uh, before coronavirus, I was going to make it um, 
and make it just a one-day event. But then the people to come from further, you know, like we Alan Rowe from Manchester, for example, we it, it kind of sucks because they're like they've come all this way. It should be a two-day event. So I think if we do the in-person and the online one, that will kind of be a little bit better. But it just so yeah, next year April, uh, like it on Facebook, ladies and gentlemen. And that is it, pretty much, for what we've been slaying. Uh, have you been playing any BARP recently? Uh, BARP? <laughs> no, 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 that hasn't even entered my uh, train of thought for about 20 years. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think I'm going to actually explain that joke. I think <laughs> listeners will get to the, uh, the setup for the joke later. That was the punchline, right? So, no BARP? Uh, no BARP at the moment. Uh, and uh, For a long time. No Habbo Hotel either. It's funny you say that, because that's coming up in the main subject. Right, we'll get to that now. Main. Subject. Magic. Main. Subject. Tokyo. Main. Subject. Subject. Okay, go on. Right. So, listeners, we have gazumped you, right? We've done it, haven't we? What I've done here, cleverly, I've called the episode Family Games. But what I've done is I've made an episode about furry role-playing games. And that's, and that's the kind of stuff, uh, you know, you have to sort of scrape from your mind. You have to go and watch a couple of cat videos or something. It is the darkest recesses of the internet that we'll be diving in today. And, you know, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen one day, listeners, all right? We, we've been on a quest since we started this podcast to root out weird games and review them, right? And this has been a long time coming. But it's- I won't... Uh, I'll, I'll say this. Um, the history... Of furries. Which we are going to get into. Oh, okay. Right. Please, <laughs> please continue. So, uh, I know there's some of you out there, right, that are thinking, what is a furry? And why even am I going to play a furry role-playing game? And uh, to, to you to you, sweet babes that, ha- that don't know what a furry is, I just say this, turn back now, right? Save your innocence. But for those choosing to stay here... If you could here, turn back time... If you could walk away. If you quote Cher one more time. <laughs> don't. Don't. She's very litigious. She will sue. Um, but yeah, so if you're choosing to stay here, God help you all. And we're talking about the dark world of furry role-playing. Um, and there's one main t- tabletop role-playing game, really, that we're going to be diving into. But we'll also take a look at basically every other one. Because there aren't actually that many surprising which is actually surprising, considering how much furries like to force their shit upon you. Well, I'd say there's probably probably about 25 uh, role-playing games, but uh, some of them are sort of, um, you know, started uh, and then abandoned. Uh, like, for example, the, uh, the Star Trek one. There's a Star Trek one that was abandoned. Uh, there was a Lilac one, uh, Star Fox. Which was also abandoned. Dan probably got DMCA'd, right? I forgot fucking furries love Star Fox. Star Fox and Sonic. That's like their thing, right? Yeah, it is. Because, yeah. you know, do you know what? The only thing worse than, you know, jerking the meat over a five-year-old is jerking the meat over a five-year-old fox from a video game. Because we met a guy in Game Station once who was a furry, and we will explain all of this. And um, he tried to cut in line by saying Sean had a really cool shirt. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, and, yeah, and then yeah. he was just like... It was a huge line. It was a huge line. And uh, this was for uh, Halo 3. Yeah. I mean, that shows how old we are. But um, yeah, and he just cut in, started talking to us. And then suddenly, right, he's like... Looks at a box for like a Sonic game and just goes, Oh, Tails. He's just the sexiest little fox. And I'm like, A, child. B, 
animal. Yeah, to- right? I mean, that's the full... <laughs> Tails is eight, and a fox, and I also... I thought it was five, but yeah. And uh, also, uh, you know, um, I can't remember how old you were, but you weren't of age to hear this stuff. <laughs> well, but who is, though? Who is? Like, the, yeah. I, look, I get, what I don't fucking get about sex people, right, is that they constantly go on about it. If you're into that stuff, well, actually, not that stuff, not the same stuff as him, but if you're into weird stuff, good for you, but why do they always need to say it? Like, one of my friends goes to all these weird parties, right? Cleve, if you're listening, hello. And at his birthday party, right, he's, he's like, into swinging, right? He's And I, th- I, I know he won't mind me saying that because he posts it all over his bloody Facebook. And one of his mates, kept, like, his girlfriend got dressed up for his party, right? And one of his mates just kept going, Oh, she looks so fit tonight. Oh, I just want to have a go on her. And it's like, shut up, mate. Look, uh, I just do do that private. Why do you? Need, why do they always have to tell everyone? Uh, well, uh, I'd, I'd, Alan Partridge should have. That should be taken as like a warning, right? Because that's what they're really like. Uh, they they uh, they are, and uh, also I'd like to remind everyone uh, that you're not uh, special. Everyone is horny. So yeah, Ex- absolutely, exactly. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. what fucking annoys me. It's like. Aside from like Christian vanilla people, everyone has their own weird tastes. I mean, just look at the way people talk about food sometimes. Do you know what I mean? It's like people like weird shit. Get over it. But the fact of the matter, I just don't like the way these communities like will often the first thing they'll say to you. Like I was at, I was at an event once, and this guy just just started, we were talking about fucking podcast recommendations, and he just went, "I want a black bloke to sex my wife." We didn't say it in those words because that would be mental, but. Anyway, the, what we're talking about today is furry role-playing games. And I think they do... Look, let's just start from the beginning here, right? Because we've said a lot, but we need to explain. We need to give you the context of what furry is before we actually dive into the RPGs. And so what we're going to do is go through the history of furries a little bit. And how the role-playing... And how they became such... Such invaders into the role-playing space. So... Furries are a fandom, basically, based on anthropomorphic animal cartoons where the animals stand on two legs, exhibit human levels of intellect, and are often depicted doing a sex on each other. Now, if that doesn't sound weird enough, many, if not all, members of this fandom have a fursona, which, beside being cringe, is like, if you were trans, right, but instead of being born in the wrong body, you were born in the wrong species, and you're actually a, you're not actually a human man called Michael, for example. You're a cartoon fox who skateboards and wears a baseball cap. When did uh, it be okay? When is it? When did it be okay? When did it be? <laughs> when did it be okay? When did when did it be okay for parents to allow this mental illness to continue? And also, <laughs> well, well, I mean, the thing is, there's a friend of mine. Uh, who's a well-known organiser of a convention I've been invited to as a guest many times, whose daughter is a furry. And I'm like, okay, we'll get into the psychological problems that furries definitely have in a bit. But no, I, I will say this, though, that not all furries are are bad, but a lot of them are like this. But some of them, there are a very few that just like the aesthetic of... Right. Of course that is going to be the case. We should preface it with that. But, like... So that's what they are. They, they, they have a fursona, and they often either draw them or dress up as them, right? And if this doesn't make sense, that's because it shouldn't, right? And it doesn't, because it's it's weird in, in every single level. But I'll explain. So in the 1970s, there was a huge scene for small press independent comics that often contained explicit imagery. 
some of which would likely be illegal nowadays, and this movement was called the Underground Comics, with an X movement. That's how you can tell it's an underground movement, right? It's a scene which still exists today, albeit in a smaller way, owing to the proliferation of webcomics, right? Because now, you know, you don't need to actually get it, this shit printed up. To some listeners, this may sound familiar, because the underground comic scene was briefly mentioned on the Louis Theroux documentary, where he visits an institute for people who have committed sex crimes. Where, of course, one of the inmates was a fan of these type of comics. Um, and I won't get into what he did, but it is hideous, right? And, uh, you know... It, it was... Uh... I mean, as usual for Louis, Louis through. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, it was an excellent uh, eye-opening documentary. I would go and watch it uh, if I were you. I mean... But and I think, actually, if anything was to ward you off of ever becoming or talking to a furry, this is going to be a... I don't want to come across as hateful, but I feel like I am. Like, I don't mind furries. I've got one I've got one that's... Um, actually, that's always the defence for people that are racist, isn't it? So I've got black mates. <laughs> I have got a mate who's a furry and a mate whose daughter is a furry, but... Uh, look, we're talking specifically about the weirder ones here, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. There are ones that aren't weird, but we are talking about the ones that take it a bit too far. 99.9% really. of them, yeah. shall we say. There, there you go, yeah. Anyway, in this case, the, the underground comics movement is really where the furry fandom started. Inspired by Disney cartoons, uh, many underground comics depicted anthropomorphic animals as characters. And it was only a matter of time before it went to a weird place. So in 1976, the world was gifted the beautiful piece of art, Vooti, which is a comic with uh, animal characters and explicit themes, which is a winning combination, if you ask me. Now, Vooti had a, a format similar to the Beano or the Dandy, which I don't think really has an American equivalent, but it was it's like several shorter comics making up one small magazine, and uh, they often contained recurring characters, like the English Dennis the Menace, for example. Well, imagine, uh, imagine like uh, basically Garfield, Archie, and uh, what's the other one? The, 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 the Snurks. Oh, Ca Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, yeah, imagine if all of those shared the same comic that came out weekly. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and also, you know, char great characters like Omaha the Cat Dancer. <laughs> what? <laughs> Basically, this was from that that comic Vootin, and it's the main character is a stripper and a cat with huge boobs. Of course, oh dear, oh dear, indeed, yeah. Anyway, while this this is where the genre kind of started, right? It became more widespread in the 1980s because there was a sci-fi convention unnamed, which I couldn't find the fucking name of, and a comic by a guy called Steve Galacci was unveiled, and its name was Alb Albedo. Sounds close to pedo. Um, anthropomorphics. Sounds close to anthropomorphics. Anyway, this comic contained animal characters in a gritty sci-fi setting with, with adult themes and violence and, you know, all the women animals had giant boobs, right? But this paved the way for the furry fandom because it kind of made it okay to be into anthropomorphic car animal cartoons, right? And it's usually like sub-Disney levels of art as well. Sub sub like it's like Disney in the forties, like but even worse. Why? Um, and why? The, the funny thing is, but, but like this sci-fi comic because it was gritty and made purely for adults, right? It meant that suddenly these people didn't have to keep it hidden anymore. They weren't like I'm I'm well into Donald Duck. Do you know why, what I mean? Why? Uh, why is it? Uh, I know this is a bit like off the beaten path here, but why is it that uh, that fairies don't like Looney Tunes? I mean, uh, <laughs> do they not? 
Um, they usually like Disney stuff, and it? it's always Disney, isn't it? So it's, it's it's usually Disney, and they uh, seem to love Robin Hood. Uh, Disney's Robin Hood a lot. Yeah, because that is where there are so so many people's fursonas are foxes, right? And that's where because Robin Hood was depicted as a fox, and and also there's a lot of well a, a, a sort of proportionate amount of gay furries, right? So the thing is, that's where that started. All the images you see today of foxes made for furries all stems from that the art style oh, is the see, fucking yeah. same isn't it yeah but i'm sure there's got to be looney tunes stuff out there who what's a looney tunes character uh bugs bunny uh, daffy duck daffy duck oh yeah it's daffy duck. who's the oh donald duck is the disney one i said daffy earlier uh road runner porn <laughs> just course, well of course there's gonna be road runner porn look at that <laughs> 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 this is a and that's Road. another thing furries love right is giant thighs and giant boobs and this is a picture of Roadrunner with both of those things yeah he's got big uh, Roadrunner with uh, big boobs and thunder thighs um, it like uh, I've, I've, well I'm going to print I'm that I'm never going to forget that I'm going to hang that on my wall so anyway getting back onto track here so now adults right they, they saw these sci-fi gritty animal fucking comics right and uh, they, they now they could just be open about it I like this comic because it's made for fucking adults and it no longer needed to be confined to underground media but could gain a mainstream appeal and in fact in 1989 Chessex right of dice fame they uh, produced Albedo Anthropomorphics the RPG now one thing to note is that obviously Watership Down came out in 1972. But what you have to understand is, is that this was the proliferation of furry shit in nerd circles specifically. It was at a sci-fi con and it's it's all like what spurred the fandom to being a safe space for outcasts. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. There's a game you can play. If you put your name followed by the hedgehog into Google, you see people's OC characters, often furries, right? Where they've made an OC character of a Sonic the Hedgehog thing. And they're always like super lonely, depressed characters that have some superpowers. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's always like uh, that. Um, some of these are like really good to see. Uh, uh, there's one I read where it was like uh, he said uh, likes. It's like likes women with uh, big boobies. <coughs> and uh, yeah, <coughs> I remember seeing one. And it's like ha- hates. Uh, d- <coughs> and it's like hates uh, Dylan from middle school. Fuck you, Dylan. I remember that one, and and also I I remember seeing one that was um somebody that had made their name the Echidna, right? So it was like a Knuckles ripoff, and it just said next to it so lonely, <laughs> and that that summarizes the furry fandoms hugely because yeah, it was suddenly now it was in sci-fi circles rather than mainstream cartoons or underground comics. It was in like nerd culture now, right? So. You meant the outcasts and people that have felt put upon for their entire life had this outlet of cartoons that they really shouldn't be watching at that age that also contained a lot of sex, right? But before all of this, it was just, you know, a, a setting that some writers did. Redwall, Warship Down, uh, well, Looney Tunes, right? But now it's become like a nerd thing. And uh, anyway, in 1989, the furry scene had garnered so many fans the world's first furry con ended up happening and it was called conference zero and and thanks to a select few this is where it got really really weird you see what happened was is half the fans turned the whole thing into an orgy and the other half were just like disney yeah. fans right they were just fans of disney or teenage mutant ninja turtles or whatever right yeah because half the people were grown up 
people reading weird comics that featured foxes with huge tits, and the other half just enjoyed cartoons. Do you know what I mean? In fact, one of the organisers, whose name I actually couldn't find, but this is an anecdote that he once told on a podcast, and uh, he recounted a memory where he, he, he thought he was just setting up this like cartoon fans convention, and uh, he ended up running through like a gauntlet of bacchanalian orgies and sex parties back to his hotel room, like <laughs> horrified by everything he was seeing. And when he called the elevator to go up to his room, it was full of blokes dressed as wolves having a go on each other. And he said the worst thing was the smell that emanated from the lift. And he ended up taking like the stairs or whatever. Well, like generally about 75% of people that go to cons don't wash for some reason. Right. So add that into the fact that there is also, you know, some dirty activities happening in, in a lift, which is typically not the most, you know, doesn't have many air currents going through it. And can you imagine? Imagine the horror of just being a guy that's like... Finally, like there's a there's a conf- uh, there's a uh, conference. I need to say there's a there's a convention for people that like Disney as much as I do as an adult. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it would have been uh, you know it would have been good back in 1989. Mm-hmm. I mean that that stuff you can you can just go on the internet for. But there's a conference. Then- there, there's a fucking con for everything now. I mean Nick's gone to vape con for Christ's sake. But yeah, so I mean it must have been amazing. But unfortunately, yeah, half of the people turned it into something d- dirty, and half of them just wanted to go and chat about cartoons. But so unsurprisingly, it was here that the fandom got split into two, with the strange freaks who dress up as animals and bonk each other on one side, called the furry fandom, and the other side rebranded as the funny animal community, which is the shittest name for anything I've ever heard. But and that that how did how long did that last? Really? It's still going, but it's basically a space for people that like classic cartoons, like the depict animals that were just doing it for the fun of it. Do you know what I mean? Like like classic like really old Disney do you know what I mean like yeah. things like that I mean and that's fine because it's probably like if you're an older person and a cartoonist it's probably where you got your inspiration from because nowadays there's a cartoon about fucking everything but back then it was just it. well a lot of it was just animals you, had, you know like well exactly like nearly, nearly, <laughs> nearly nearly all of it was uh you know, animals. I mean, I like the classic cartoons, you know. Um, like. Um, well, and the good thing is, if you're part of the funny animal community as opposed to the furry fandom, there's Toon by Steve Jackson Games. Good game. That is actually a really well-made game. Uh, yeah, with, uh, you know, like it's got like an episodic structure to it. Um, actually, I won't get too much into it, but check out Toon by Steve Jackson That's Games. a good fucking animal game. I mean, but it doesn't even have to be that. You could play Elmer Fudd or whatever. But yeah, good, good fucking game. But yeah. So that was where the furry community split into two. Now, the drama surrounding Conference Zero is actually way more detailed than that. But I can't I can't recount it all here. So please go up and read on it because it's it's not go and read up on it because it's like really, really fucking interesting. But that's furries for you. So we've we've pretty much figured out you, you what they are, right? That's furries. And before you have a go at me for generalizing, right, I will clarify that not all of them are into the filthy parts but probably most of them are. And I mean, if you want to have sex with animals, which a lot of them do, right? And when you say, is it just about this? They'll always say no. And they always get argumentative. And the reason is, is because if you're, if you're the type of person that wants to have sex with animals and also admits that you do it, you're the worst type that's, of person. Yeah, exactly. It's, that's just plain wrong. I mean, like if you're into, weird, like you said, like if you're into weird shit, that's fine. But then... Uh, that's that's crossing the line, really. Well, I mean, where where does it fucking stop? Like when, I mean, you saw the fucking videos I sent you today. Sean and I were sharing a lot of furry material on WhatsApp today. Yeah. And there's this fucking girl on TikTok who thinks she's a wolf. Yeah, there's a girl on TikTok who thinks she's a wolf. There's a bloke. Uh, 
who drew uh, who drew a fox uh, fox in uh, a high school uh, in a nappy shitting himself uh, shitting himself <laughs> right but you know that's a specific part and it has its own specific con they're called diaper furs what no. what is this age we're living in I'm oh, about no. to be a father yeah. and I, my son's gonna have to go out in this world do you know what I mean you're really gonna have to like police that shit I'm gonna have to police if I see a fucking fox helmet like but but it is like it is seriously weird and it, it does often root the roots are it's like a deep self-hatred often right and it, I'm, I'm it not usually I, is yeah. I'm not even like generalising here it's usually because they're trying not to face up to something I've watched so many documentaries on it and a hundred percent of the time, there's a part of that person's self they're not—they're trying to get away from. It's very, uh, very occasional. Uh, like I've watched a lot of these documentaries as well. It's very occasional that you'll get a guy who just wants to blow off a bit of steam and be a dog for like and be an weird. Hour. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. The, but you do get them. You get sometimes yeah, it'll like, just be like, no, I just—I don't know. I just fucking like it. Nobody knows who I am. I can just dance like a fucking idiot and take drugs and it's like, okay, fair enough. That's cool. That's fair enough. But yeah. then, but then all the others, it's like. It's, 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 it's usually just like, yeah, I mean, I was I was obviously beat as a child or, yeah, I don't like my home life, whatever, right? They're always escaping from something. And what I find kind of funny about that is that there is a specific subgenre of furries that are Nazis. I mean... Wait, that, what do you mean? What do you so mean? So they, they dress up in, like, Third Reich uniforms, like, over their fursuits with, um, you know, like, swastikas all over it because they're, like racist but don't really want to face up to it so they only do it as a character and they go around <laughs> doing fucking Nazi oh, salutes okay. and shit so, they're, so they're, they're ashamed of their racism but they then they're but they want to let it out yeah. like it's so weird man <laughs> and, and also what's with the vaping and the dubstep why is that a thing why is it always vaping and dubstep <laughs> I like both of those things but yeah. at, the, at furry cons just google it right just put in furry con dubstep into fucking YouTube and you'll see furries partying to dubstep whilst vaping through their masks and then the, the smoke comes out the eyes actually their... I've seen it and you don't want to see it um, it sort of uh, ruptured me to the core it sort of awoke something in me some sort of horror Sean in... wasn't like this before now he's like this <laughs> if you could see him dear listener he's a shadow of his former self no pl- yeah please don't watch them but all right, anyway, so I, I just think the community essentially are usually very quick to get defensive about it. If they were just up front about yeah. it, do you know what I mean? It's, at least they're having sex with a fictional animal. But I wonder how much crossover there is into... Anyway, we won't get into that, but yeah, I've just looked at my notes and I've seen it says, talk about fur cons, vaping, Nazi furs and dubstep. <laughs> that just came up naturally. But anyway, we're now all up to speed. We can dive into a uh, a few furry role-playing games. Are you ready, Sean? Uh, no, actually. Are you fucking ready? So fur- furry role-playing, of course, takes place at the cons, where pe- people basically LARP all day as their fursonas, right? And do sordid things in their rooms and elevators and public spaces where children could be watching. But, but online, before Conference Zero, BBS boards and IRC chat were hotspots for people meeting up and having text-based sexual role-players, their cartoon animal personas. And I can't believe that's a thing I have to say, right, that exists. But these services were, like, really simple, right? They're, like, chat-slash-forum-type things, which allowed people to communicate only with text and were used for much more than just yiffing, which, unfortunately, I do know is the term for doing it when you're in a fursuit. 
they, they were also BBSs were like used, you know, for things like discussing news, video games, talking about sport. Like everyone used them back in the day, but they were really basic. And this led, in a way, to the pr- proliferation of muds, multi-user dungeons, which are like proto MMO games with like real heavy Zork vibes. At the beginning, they were all text-based as well. I used to play a lot of these back in the day. Right, exactly. So it, it, it basically, yes, yeah, multi-user dungeon is what it means, and they were. Mostly text-based when they started out, but they provided people with a world to play in. You created a character, you played in a world. And, you know, I used to play the Discworld one, like, a lot at college instead of working. Because it was, like, the only game I could get to run on the shitty college computers. So I played the Discworld one, like, like a hell of a lot. And it was really, really fun and quite basic. But it consisted mainly of getting ganked by high-level players hanging outside Ankh-Morpork. And remember, even as I started, the guy that got me into it was just like, just don't leave the city for until you're like level 70. And I'm like, how, how long is that going to take? He's like, mm, 200 hours, something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but eventually MUDs moved on from being entirely uh, text-based and started to contain graphics, right? Mostly it was like tile-based and, you know, you'd press up on the keyboard and your character would just boop into the next square kind of thing. But these were called graphical MUDs. Some va- famous examples in the genre being BARP, Alter Aeon, <laughs> and of course God Wars 2. Have you heard of God Wars 2? Uh, I have, yeah. This was actually made by creator of the saga of the Goblin Horde, Richard Walcock. He ma- he was responsible oh, really? for God Wars 2. Jesus yeah. Christ, man. Pretty crazy, which is why the saga Small of the world. Goblin Horde is still called... Uh, it's called like zadmar.godwars2.blogspot. So that's why it's, why it's that, because it used to be where God Wars 2 was hosted. That's so. mental, yeah. Pretty weird link into the uh, into the role playing industry there, but yeah. Um, so obviously, furries got their own graphical mud, and it was made by Dave Shapiro. And uh, I, I forgive you for not knowing his name, but he was of Origin Systems, and he was along with Richard Garrier, the guy that made Ultima Online, right? And the, I'm going to mention a game now, Furcadia. Do you know Furcadia? I don't. Uh, I'm great. Well, I'm glad I don't. You good? Good, basically, but. Um, Furcadia was basically a graphical mud that was made for furries. Did like, these guys make that game? Dave Shapiro did. Oh, so he made it despite right. how, no, but but here's the thing. So Furcadia was a uh, was a graphical mud that was made in 1996, and the game featured uh, furry characters. But it was basically a game featured in a, a medieval world, and it had anthropomorphic characters. But it wasn't made for furries. Dave Shapiro wasn't a furry. He just wanted to give people plenty of avatar options for characters, right? Yeah. But obviously, it, it just it basically got taken over by furries. It was a social RPG about hanging out, expanding on the ideas of Dave Shapiro's previous game, Dragon Spires. And the characters in Furcadia were mainly there because it gave the players, like, yeah, as I said, more ways to customize their character. But then the scumbags got involved because furries found out about it and all the yiffers, you know, they were in there like a shot. And they moved away from like primitive chat software into Furcadia and spent a long time there. And and actually it held a Guinness World Record for being the longest running MMO until it shut down and World of Warcraft took it over. I can imagine that... uh... I can imagine that this was pretty uh, groundbreaking back in the day for these kind of people. Well, exactly. I mean, it must have been because basically it's just Habbo Hotel, but with a bunch of sex criminals as its players. I can't believe Habbo Hotel went... Like, we we got back to Habbo Hotel there. There you go. So, but yeah, it's, well, basically, you know, I, I did have a joke written down here that Furcadia, right, was obviously full of people, like future sex criminals. 
but so is Habite Hotel. So it's basically the same. Uh, <laughs> you, pick, you picking that one up? But yeah, so all you really do in Furcadia is hang out, chat. You can, you know, make a house, make your own little island and shit like that. And and, and that's really it. But it kind of paved the way um, for games like Cabo Hotel and things like that. But it was a free game. And the way they rinsed the furries' money at the time, because, you know, monetization for this type of stuff was new, you know, um, especially for free-to-play games. And uh, essentially, to upgrade your character and use new shiny avatars, you rented them. You didn't buy them. So if your fursona was that of like a rainbow dragon with a top hat and cane, you'd have to rent all of it and pay a weekly fee to continue to use it. Is this where the uh, sort of Korean model came from, do you think, then? Uh, it, it was. I, I think it either came from here or he borrowed it from Korea. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it could yeah. be. It could be either. But now consider right how much furries believe in this other kin shit. Right? They they fucking they they paid this shit. They paid the weekly rental fee to be a fucking <laughs> of dragon. They did. Yeah. And for thirteen long years, Furcadia drained the wallets of morons until there was nothing left. People paid a pre- premium to rent fake cartoon gear, to hang out in a fake cartoon world and live their fake cartoon lives. But sadly, the life of the pervert ain't always smooth sailing, because eventually, the in- with the invention of things like Club Penguin, Second Life, and Habbo Hotel, the monetization was a little bit less blatantly greedy, and Furcadia eventually went under. So the online furry roleplay community was split. I mean, they didn't have a place to meet up and, t- and do t- type in, type in sex moves to each other. Once again, there was suddenly a truckload of weirdos from Furcadia got dumped into other circles and had nowhere to go on the reg to get their kicks. Sure, they had the cons, but like doing the daily slash weekly shit, like the, what they, you know, what they do for fun on the BBS boards. Well, a lot of them now play Second Life, of course, have or have Discord servers. And a lot of them make horrible TikTok videos, which I'll play a clip of one now. I'll probably play that one that I sent you. My name is Raven Eclipse, Princess of the Wolf Clan. Sixteen, smart, cute, mean, scary. Has a crush on Jake, but he doesn't know. Don't touch my tail, fucker! Sips tea quietly and cutely, so Jake notices. I said, so Jake notices. But, uh... A fair few furries got their sales caught up in the critical role backdraft and joined the D&D community where they were welcomed with open arms. And because the D&D landscape has changed so much, you know, critical role and other online action, actual plays focused on, on characters hanging out and chatting while Matt Mercer picks, you know, flicks through his papers for an hour. <laughs> As a result, you know, this is like prime furry shit, man. They they were they were loving it because what what did they do before? They hung out, they pretended to be shit, and they chatted for hours. This and is perfect for them. Really. Exactly because Critical Role popularized that. They don't really do much except for sit in the pub and all the characters chat to each other. So that's what they thought role playing was, and a fucking big fucking boatload of them came over to RPGs. Well, and bear in mind, you know, that in 5e, you also had cat people as a main race, the tabaxi, dragonborn, raven people, dogmen. I didn't realise there was... um I didn't realise there were so many... Uh, I mean, how did I miss out on the, all these anthropomorphic races? Yeah, because I sent Sean a list of... I don't even know why, who put the list... Well, it's probably a fucking... A, it was a massive list, um, and there was even... Uh, in, included, like... Such things as lion, folk, and teddy bear. But then also Neko. So he, he, uh, 
the Japanese word for cat. So if you want to specifically be an anime cat, there's a race. I think a lot of them were third party, but taking into account all of the anthropomorphic races available for 5e, there's over 300. Um, so these are all third party. They're like basically... Um... Not all of them, not all of them, because there was a book, I think it's called Unearthed Arcana, and in that, that's where the tabaxi were introduced, cat people. And I was telling Sean earlier, I played in a game at my friendly local game store with three weird... Well, actually, all weirdos. But three of them were tabaxi. Three cat people and one fucking D&D pie. And they were all like turbo fucking weebs. And I know this is a, uh, a phrase used by, you know, right-wing people, but they were probably cucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they probably were. They probably were. Yeah. I mean, you could uh, you could make a cool game out of uh, being cats. Um, I was. I mean, I was talking to you earlier. I was saying like you could be like cat burglars. I mean, I know that's a literal thing, but um, yeah. But then leaning in on that would be funny. Yeah, it would. Yeah. It's not in really inherently a problem, is it? I mean, we we're big fans of the Elder Scrolls series and the Khajiit and that are cat people. Um, that are used as sort of stand-in for Arabs, basically, and it's sort of like a bit offensive, actually, in a way. <laughs> yeah. But but the thing about it is, is that like it's not a bad thing. In fact, we've played settings where you play animals, and it's really fucking fun. Um, and bizarrely, a lot of sex was included in those games, but not on purpose. Um, it was because of one player. But anyway, as these things go, right, you know, like obviously a lot of the furries got caught up in the critical role shit and got into 5e because they could play a Neko or a teddy bear or whatever, which makes me cringe so hard. But most people graduate from 5e to bigger and better things, and as did our chums in the yiffing community. And we got basically a few furry RPGs. Now, I'm not going to talk about any anthropomorphic role-playing games, as we've just spoke about, because some of them are just sincere stuff inspired by, like, the genre of animal cartoons... Whereas the furry aesthetic is really specific to a style of art, somewhat close to Roger Rabbit is the closest example I could think of. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's always like large-breasted animals or large penist animals that are done in that really cartoon style. Yeah. Like you never see somebody in a fursuit it's like done a gritty reboot of a fox. Do you know what I mean? No, it's not, uh, you know, like the the uh, artwork from Gen Lab Alpha. Which is cool. And yeah. clearly Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles inspired, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's brilliant. Like, it's actually brilliant. And the animals are kind of used, well, because it's a testing lab. You're playing animals in a testing lab. It's got a message, you know. It's good. It's nice and gritty. Um, much like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics. Yeah, the original ones, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're not going to talk about any of that stuff, like the sincere stuff that's inspired by animal cartoons, do you know what I mean? Uh, the aesthetic of the furry thing is quite specific, you know, Roger Rabbit style. Things like Mouse Guard the RPG are based on things like Mouse Guard the comic. And obviously before that we had Red Wall, Watership Down, Usagi Yojimbo, which is another one, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing badly, but it's a samurai rabbit. Um... And, and that also has its own role-playing game. So I don't think these count. I mean, Gen Lab Alpha, as we said, is a cracking setting, but it's reminiscent of Animal Farm and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rather than just like a wolf with tits. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, good. And if you want a quick method for devising whether or not like an animal game, an animal-based game is a furry game or not, look at the cover. Does one or more of the animals have tits? If the answer is yes, that's a furry game, isn't it? Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good way of gauging it, I think, actually, yeah. yeah. 
so uh, yeah, I mean, if so, if yeah. Anyway, sorry. But that's the trouble, right? Games like Pugmire are also really great for like animal fans and pet owners. Do you know what I mean? Like you can make your pet as a character in a role-playing game. But then the uh, it's also often like a lot of social commentary. But then the furries sort of get hold of it and have a go on it and ruin it. But the first RPG I wanted to mention anyway is uh, is World Tree. Now this is a game made for furries by furries. It came out in 2001. It was made by husband and wife furry team Bard Bloom and Victoria Bloom. And actually, the setting is pretty cool. It's set on this, like, infinitely large tree based on, like, pagan mythology. And all these animals live on it in a in, in a various, like, medievalish way, um, you know. And there's magic, and it's... And also, because it's on a, set on a tree, the society has no metal, which is a bizarre thing to say, but fine, all right. Now... It means that it's also heavily sort of like Eastern inspired because instead of using swords, you're going to be kicking each other most of the time. So it's it's okay. Anyway, the, the world is like rather cringy, right? But it actually, it, and I'm not obviously going to go into too much detail about this one because it's actually not that interesting. But it's quite a creative world to play in at the very least, you know, like medieval shit on a big tree. I mean, nobody's done that before, but it features a magic system where players make spells on the fly using combinations of words. And do you know what, like, I've seen systems like this before. So, like, usually, you know, in a system with free magic, like, free-form magic, you have to do an adjective and a verb. Is that right? So it would be like, create water. No, like, a a verb and a noun, right? So it would be like, create water, change, rain, move fire. But you can't really have... um... It doesn't really work too well when you have that sort of thing. You can't really give... Because uh, with magic, uh, you can't really have your players take the piss. No, but you can. And I've seen it done well. In ICRPG, they have a free-form magic. And you need to score over a 15 for the spell to go well. But if you get, like, under a 5, or and it varies, you know, goes up and up and oh, down. Oh, it go horribly wrong. Yeah, so, so there's always that risk that if you go, I'm going to do a nuke spell. Okay, try it. But if you get under a five, you're nuking yourself. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you've no, got to be careful with it. Yeah, that's fair enough. And then you could end the game. And and kind of this is kind of similar. But so yeah. if I yell out Mutok Herbador, which is so cringe, uh, that means change soil. Wait, why not just have the words, the normal words? That'll be fine. Why, why do you have to learn all these words, though? Well, good point. Good fucking point. <laughs> I don't fucking know. There's no reason. There is no reason. But anyway, yeah, the word thing is a bit lame. But actually, the idea is quite good. And it no, was a, it is, a bit yeah. ahead of its time, really. But um, this is actually pretty much every cool detail in the RPG world tree. Uh, that was a waste of a day, basically. But uh, the world is a bit lame. The word thing is a little bit lame. But I think it's kind of a cool system. And it's, it doesn't it doesn't really, like, get too deep into, like the furry shit it actually does pass the test actually because on the cover no characters with tits right no no dogs with tits on the cover but it does include a bunch of really punchable looking smiling animals on the cover and an alien it does uh, and uh, it sort of uh, struck me as uh, someone who wanted to learn to draw really quickly so they could draw this sort of sexual shite really to be honest so much furry RPG falls into that category so someone with no talent trying to, trying to draw his own porn and it's like several different art styles come together 
But anyway, another, th so another sort of giveaway here is that it includes a rather disproportionate amount of detail on prostitution in its setting. And one of the races you can play is hermaphrodite dragons with feathers. Which is, uh, to me, like, okay, nothing wrong with the hermaphrodites out there. All you herms listening, like, you're cool, you know. Because yeah. we've probably got, like, one. <laughs> but uh, it, it, but that is quite furry, isn't it? Yeah. Like, feathered yeah. hermaphrodite dragon. It's quite specific, yeah. It's, and that's what furry is, right? That's, <laughs> it's all about fucking specificity. And I also notice there's an odd detail to each race. Um... Like, so in a normal book, you expect, like, race, right, to be something like, here's what dwarves are good at, here's what elves are good at, here's what cats are good at, here's what huge titted beavers are good at, do you know what I mean? But, like, in this, it's like, there's a weird detail for each race, it tells you how often they change what they like, what they're into, right? Which I think is to allow the GM to force them into gross sex scenes. I can't be sure... But it seems like that it, was the no, intent of it, right? Oh, well, yeah, that's that's what uh, you know came into my mind. It's the first thing you said, really. right? Exactly, because it's like you, you go into a situation, and it, it, let's say, for example, let's just say, right, you're that organizer at the first, you know, conference, and you're going through that gauntlet. The GM goes, right, make a check. Let's see if you're into this now. Do you know what I mean? And it's like you're just going to force people into that stuff, but it doesn't explicitly say that's where it should be used. But it seems weird. To put a thing like like that in there. Like, this is how often your character changes what he likes. I mean, have you ever heard of that in another role-playing game? No, is the answer. But overall, not a bad game. Pretty okay setting. Cool magic. Not much else to say. That is World Tree. Well, the Penguins have made it. And they're going up against the Golden Knight. It's, uh, it's very... Uh... Can you name that tune? Uh, furry pirates. The music is still playing. All right, furry pirates. Furry pirate. Oh, oh, I know what you're going to talk about. Is that uh, like furries in the age of pirates? Yeah, yeah. Basically, so the next game we're going to look at is furry pirates. And guess what, listeners? On the cover, a cat with boobs and a whip. Now I'll give you. Actually, I was I was going to give you eight guesses as to what this RPG is about. But you basically. Covered that. So, uh, yeah, set during the golden age of piracy, basically late 17th century, early 18th. This is a pirate game where you play cats with tits. This one also features very little dirty material. But what's included is actually a really good historical fantasy game that uses a percentile mechanic. It places a huge focus on journeys, sailings, ship-to-ship -ship combat with a shitload of ships to choose from, which is like, say that, three times fast. But the setting is basically exactly like the real world, but the people are animals. And it goes into a lot of depth about global politics of the time, the ship specs of the era. And overall, it's actually a good pirate game. Did you okay. ever think that would be something that would happen? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I mean, there's not... Uh, I mean, there's a f there's a, probably a few games on the market. Um, I mean... Well, like pirate-based animal games. I mean, like, pirate games. I mean, there aren't actually that many. There are a few pirate games I can name. There's Buccaneers by Chris Fox. Uh, that was quite good, actually. Uh, Chris Fox? Chris Fox. Um, he does. He does. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but anyway, Furry Pirates, the role-playing game, is basically like the Three Musker Hounds cartoon. Um, so that's pretty close to, like, what it is. 
But despite it featuring, you know, that type of furry artwork on the cover, it's actually a decent game, and it's one that children would probably enjoy. It's just a cartoon animal pirate game. You know, uh, to be honest, the artwork was kind of off-putting, because... Uh, on, on the cover, the cover artwork is quite different to that. In, the, the stuff inside is, like, cartoony, but quite tasteful. But for some, but because they knew who they were marketing this game to, there's a cat with tits on the cover. But inside, it's all right. If you're going to play this, it'll be a good game to play with kids because it's cartoony, at least in style, or the oh. characters you can be. But just don't show them the front cover. Oh uh, yeah, don't uh, don't be put off by the artwork because yeah, there was several different art styles going on. There was a uh, cat with boobs and. But yeah. there's only one. Yeah. As furry games go, that's good going. Right, because usually there's a cat with boobs on every page, but in this case, one. Is that good? One boob, like a super boob. No, two boobs, one cat. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's good going. I mean, but anyway, despite this game actually being pretty good, um, copies of Furry Pirates can go for two hundred pounds or more. So good game actually overall. It's just a shame that basically it's tarred with the furry brush. It's just a pretty decent pirate game, but there are cheaper and probably better options out there. Now Iron Claw. This is the one that everyone basically knows. This is the this is the big furry RPG, and the cover makes me feel physically sick. Um, see a, a, a dog in a Robin Hood costume, a large-breasted fox. A knight who is also a horse. Do you know what uh, was annoying and uh, is annoying about a lot of these games? Uh, I've heard Iron Claw is pretty good, but um, on the front cover, we have a lot of uh, different art styles going on. The uh, background is very serious, and then you've got a lot of uh, the male characters that are very serious as well. And then the female characters have these Disney sort of faces. Like overly large cartoonish grins on their face, and it, it makes them look so punchable. And it's a really bad sort of MS Paint style art, and then there's a lot of art that's very. It, it's got com like shading, like just ever so slightly too complex for an artist of that caliber to pull off. That's you know it. I mean? It's like yeah. they found the gradient tool in Photoshop and they've used it, right? I mean, just look up the art now, listeners, all right? Because Iron Claw, th that is the pro. I was going to say prototypical, but it's like the. It's the typical fucking furry art isn't it it's like spot on they've got somebody who's well into that shit to make this right so the system iron claw uses is fairly simple and uh you assign a bunch of dice to your attributes so you get a d4 a d6 d8 up to a d12 and use character creation points to like buy and beef up skills so you can assign a d4 to one uh one one attribute a d6 to another and so on and then with your character creation points you buy skills and they work Pretty much the same way. So, um, yeah, a dice chain, basically. And then you roll them, try to hit a target number. But we'll go into character options and stuff in a second. But before we do, immediately after the book tells you how to make characters, it's got like a, a summary, right? It includes a couple of sample ones. And it includes a couple of sample ones. And when you see a horse smiling at you holding a sword whose name is Anton de Avoir du I mean, that is... You just lose all faith in humanity. I mean, that is so neckbeard. It's, it's unbelievable. It's proper, like, malady shit, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's... Uh, you know. But what if I tell you, Sean, before you react, right, that the horse also has the ballroom dancing skill? I mean, it couldn't get more neckbeardy, could it? There's a lot of uh, layers to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of stuff going on here. 
Um, yeah, so this, uh, yeah, yeah. So shite like this, right? Uh, by, by the way, furries, if you're listening, is why you will never be taken seriously, okay? Look, just please, for Christ's sake, take a look in the fucking mirror. But let's talk about the actual game. Races in the game include apes, boars, coyotes, goats, armadillos, and loads more. And for some fucking reason, the armadillos look like kangaroos. And the only thing I can think is that Owing to the name Armadillo, the artist assumed it to be a marsupial and drew it as a kangaroo. Don't know why. Bit fucking weird. Um, but yeah, though, there's so many more playable races. And the artwork here is cringe as fuck and like really neckbeardy. Everyone's got like a rough. Everyone's got a fucking top hat. Like it's really cringe. But then again, if you want to see a picture of a weasel proposing to a busty she-weasel, then you're in luck, basically. I mean, is that, is that I mean, something you'd like to see? No, I mean, there's a small your... percentage of people in the world that are in luck. I mean, there's 7 billion people in the world. I'd imagine that that's like two people in the world. So for those two people, this is perfect. This is, yeah. Because even amongst furries, weasels are uncommon. Who wants to be a weasel? A weasel-faced ass. <laughs> What would, what would you prefer, a weasel face ass or an ass face weasel? A weasel, probably. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> it really caught me. It took me off my stride there, man. Because <laughs> that's a reference to the English version of The Office, by the way. But yeah, it's, it's like turbo fucking neck beard. It's like the classic definition of chivalry where it's all milady and all of this shit and white knighting and it's all in there but imagine that but a horse or a weasel um and you've got a pretty uh you've got a pretty good game on your hands but anyway each race starts with a different gift and flaw and these are like your edges and hindrances for example otters right because that's a thing start with claws monkeys start with prehensile feet and horses can move faster but the only race, curiously, that starts with a flaw is bats. But why don't they all start with a flaw? I mean, horses are, like, essentially... Ho- no, okay, so horse is often used, and I'm slightly drunk, but a, a horse is often used for somebody that's got a long, ugly face. Uh, um, but, ho- but furries, they find them deeply attractive because they're fucking weird. Um, okay, but... All right, uh, but what's the ho- a flaw? But here's, here's the thing about horses, right? Uh, like uh, that's a good start to a sentence. Uh, here's the thing about horses. Nice is that they're essentially, uh, you know, uh, they're essentially a thing of the past. They were created by humans. Uh, they were created, uh, you know, like through years of you know gene gene stuff and all of this. Um, you know, that's horses are where we're at basically. And then uh, we, we have to put horseshoes on. I mean, they're, they're a thing of the past. Horses are a thing of the past. No, so that not. is a flaw. That is a flaw. Well, so you uh, you sound like such an Alex Jones watcher right now. No, 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 I mean, um, you know what I mean? Like, um, like the way modern... What you mean is the way that horses like, are bred in the modern age is... No, that's what I mean. Like, um, ho- like um, you know... I'm ho- cutting all of this. No. Okay, um, no, okay, all right, so I'll start again. Uh, horses, uh, basically, uh, and like, uh, are sort of, um, you know, bred uh, for, hu- they were bred for... They're, hu- they're bred for human work. Human convenience. Uh, right, exactly, now, to the now, point where the jobs we use them for, we have to attach shoes to their feet, so you could come up with a flaw for a horse that is that they 
are more susceptible to foot-based injuries. Uh, they're more susceptible to foot-based injuries. Also, they're they're like um, also, you know because of automation and stuff. We don't need horses anymore. And uh, that, believe me, Sean. Unfortunately, we will get into that because in a medieval world where you can play as a horse, what do you use to pull your wagon? And it is fucking weird. All right, but um. Yeah, so so basically this game is awful, um, and each one starts, each race, so basically each race starts with a different gift and floor. And as Sean, you have rightly pointed out, um, most animals would have some floor, do you know what I mean? They would have something that might put them in the path of danger, that's how the world works. But only bats, only bats have it, um, who get the, who start with the uh, floor called frail, which is really odd, because you've got all the other rodents you can play as in this game, but only the one that can fly has a floor. I mean, look, give me, give me a hydraulic press and a rat and a bat, and I tell you, they'll be the, roughly the same difficulty to destroy. Would you say that? Yeah, I'd probably agree. I mean, but they've obviously tried to balance it by making the one that can fly the only one that has a floor. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's bloody stupid. But because it sounds good up until that point. Yeah, because I'm dwelling on something minor because you can tell that they put little thought into how the animals actually work, right? Um, so all of the races are, like, really fucking basic, right? So, for example, like, yeah, monkeys start with a prehensile tail, which means they just get a bonus to climbing. Like, shit like that. It's, like, really basic. It's like, you know, the lazy fucking RPG designer is the one that just goes, you've got an ability that gives you a bonus. That's it. Rather than something mechanically different, because wouldn't it be cool... If, if you picked a horse, you could have other people ride on the back of you, therefore not needing to buy a mount. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and that's, Shit like that. that's like a, uh, you know, like, that's, uh, you know, like an advantage, basically, that they could have. But they, they didn't really think this through. Uh, they didn't really think this through very well because... All they've done is go, yeah, here's a bonus for whichever race you picked. It's lazy. It's fucking lazy. But yeah... So let's talk careers, right? So different careers and the races uh, cost more or less character points if you want to pick them and come with some base skill. So they're kind of split into different categories. Schol- uh, you've got scholarly characters, peasant characters, fighters, and wizards. So basically any fantasy job you can think of is probably represented in some way, which is also quite a boring way of doing it. And Troika, for example, that's how they do it. All it is is that each class has a different bonus to skills and Troika is a pretty fun game but it's a very basic game and that's what you get here it's like okay you pick uh, I don't know a, a pot washer and you get a bonus to cleaning like that's it so it's all that none of it is based on mechanics it's all just based around being better at skills that's it um so it's pretty uh pretty fucking boring so you could probably play it for Probably for like a few games or whatever. Yeah, like it's not it's not terrible, but yeah. it's just unremarkable. And uh, we'll get to that in a bit because I think I think it I think it shows the direction they started with when they made Iron Claw. But after you picked your career, you also have to pick a passion, and it's nothing really weird. But basically, you get a skill that's unique to what your character likes. So the sorrow passion means you include your sorrow dice when resisting taunts which is so lame but it's like you're so miserable does stuff doesn't affect you right and i don't know why you would be actually into being miserable but whatever and similarly fear is another one now i know what you're thinking 
where's the weird shit? So far, this is pretty basic fantasy shit with some hideous artwork. Well, I think the thing with the uh, the stuff about um, you know being miserable is. Uh, being a vigilante, maybe because you have a lot of heavy. But stuff I mean, we we spoke about Sonic OCs, you know, and all of them are lonely and damaged in some way. Oh. This is the only game where oh, I can imagine every player at the fucking table going, "Yeah, my character likes being miserable because basically my life has been the same thing. My parents don't accept <laughs> that, you know, I am actually a horse." Um, my, uh, you know, my middle class area where I live at is. They're always nice. middle class, aren't they? <laughs> they always are. That's the annoying thing about it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a bit fucking weird. But yeah, anyway, like, I imagine... So right now you're thinking, this is pretty a boring game, right? There's not actually anything remarkable about it. I think that's what the uh, designers were thinking too when they wrote it, because there's a comic next with an intro written in such a stupid font that I can't actually read it and don't know what it says. So devoid of context, we see a hugely endowed horsewoman bathing in a fountain like a complete twat. Not a bath or a river or a lake, but a fountain, which is just a public annoyance. And then this really, like, maladying, like, fucking neckbeard goat man comes in and says, Ah, would that I were a painter or a post, for then I could paint... For then I could paint a canvas or words to paper and thus capture the perfection of this single moment. It's like... It's like a deeply autistic person's view. It's like a, a view of relationships having only play, uh, having only, like, watched anime, basically. Hunt and you're exactly nail on the head there. Anyway, uh, then they start getting it on. I mean, this woman is obviously this uh, what, what fucking uh, horsewoman is clearly fucking retarded because she buys it and they start making out. And it's just wrong for so many reasons, you know, not the least of which being that they, the size differential between a goat and a horse. But they're also different species entirely. And also both animals, which is something I feel like I need to remind people, right? We're still reading a comic and reading an RPG, by extension, by someone who wants to have sex with animals. Anyway, the horrific scene is cut short by a bandit crew made up of a pig and a rat and a wolf. And it turns out it was all a ruse. The horse lured the goat here to get him killed. And I actually feel like it's like sort of a creeping sense of dread saying this. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just pathetic. It's just like you can't believe the words that are you know, coming out of your mouth. Exactly. Exactly. It's just insane. But anyway, apparently the horse, you know, she could have just leapt out when the guy got there and made this big fucking speech. She could have, she could have just went, like, signaled the rest of her crew to come and attack him then, but she had to have sex with him for five minutes beforehand. So she's like a method murderer. Anyway, gifts and flaws, right? We mentioned this a little bit already, um, but you, in addition to the ones you get for picking, you know, your race, you also get, like unique gifts and flaws um, in Iron Claw and they are like similarly boring as fuck and I suppose this is the area where it differs to traditional fantasy however because all of the gifts are like animal abilities like an intimidating roar or a prehensile tail but all of them just give you like bonuses to shit and the gifts are also mainly linked to your race so you know certain races get access to certain gifts right so actually, the amount that any character can can possibly choose from are around 8 to 12 per character. Consider the fact that in Savage Worlds, you've got about 100 different edges that most characters can pick as long as they meet prerequisites. In this, you've got about 8. Uh, and for the, for the lesser popular races, like otters or beavers, right? they've got even less. So it's pretty shit. 
And the flaws are basically standard fantasy shit. There's about three of them. Uh, poverty, bad reputation, one eye, one arm, and so on. And gear is pretty much your standard shit too. But you mentioned earlier, right? In a world where horses are, what do you ride? What do you what do you get to pull your wagon? Uh, what uh, what? Uh, I'm interested. That do they have stuff like that in there? Really? You ride lizards. Uh, so bear in mind. Here's another question. Then are there sentient lizards in the game? They are right. So you ride willing lizards who will allow animal other animals to ride on their back. <laughs> and bear in mind, one of the one of the races you can pick is elephant. Tell me what kind of fucking sense that makes. Um, who, well, what lizard would be willing to let an elephant ride on its back? <laughs> Why not a bicycle? Well, it's like the ultimate heavy thing, isn't it, an elephant? So yeah, like uh, there wouldn't be. But suddenly you've got lizards the size of men that can carry them on their back willingly, right? That yeah. is a surefire way to get back problems. But then there were. I mean, elephants are supposed to be carrying things. So like this is this stuff. This... Suddenly you've got mounts riding mounts. Do you know what I mean? That uneven mounts. Nobody rides lizards in real life. I've tried it. It's difficult. It's you, it's very hard, even when you're very small. It's just to be. But honest. like I was saying, like you could just use, you know, one of those bikes with the sit-down compartment on the back, where somebody pedals it in the front. Why not just have those in the world? If you wanted a convenient explanation for the reason horses don't ride other horses, why don't you just, why not just have bikes in the fucking setting or something? Do you know what I mean? But it's like, uh, just ride on a lizard. It'd be like me paying someone outside to give me a lift on their back to a neighbouring town. It's like slower than walking yourself, deeply insulting, and a bit racist. Because it's specifically, it's the one race of things you can't play, right? So it'd be yeah. like me making an RPG where you don't have typical mounts, but saying if you go outside and you ask a Chinese bloke, he'll let you go on his back much slower than you would be just walking. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much like that. I mean, um, yeah, they're, they're the only... Uh race in the entire game you can't really play as and uh, they're their mounts now they're just slaves yeah just slaves from a different race I mean that is fucking beautiful isn't it and what's worse this also raises the question of what these animals eat if there's no meat right wait um, no because uh, surely there'd be acceptable forms of meat that they could eat um, I mean like uh, yeah I mean what yeah what like bugs but like, put it this way, in a D&D game, it's not a fucking problem, right? Because in D&D, even if you play a game with all anthropomorphic characters, you've still got things like goblins, trolls. There's a difference between animal and monster, right? Yeah, there is, yeah. But in this, there really isn't. So forget, uh, but so the, the, the thing you eat is also lizards. But surely... Uh, you eat lizards. Surely in this world, there'd be like farm animals or something. Like cows would be something that you can't play as, so... They'd be cow, but they, but then you then you get into the get into the whole realm of denying people's personas because you like you can't play a cow, but you can't play a lizard. You ride them and eat them. That's what you fucking do. So why don't they like lizards that much? Because we actually spoke about this on a break a second ago, and it's because there's a subset of the furry community called scalies, whose personas are lizards. Okay. Now forgive me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like the premise of Iron Claw sort of fell apart the second that anyone tried to make sense of it. Do you know what I mean? We're, we're trying to make sense of it right now and it's taken... It's, it, we're trying to make sense of it right now and we're, uh, you know, we're pretty baffled it already. Is, it's difficult it's, because you've got a game where every animal is basically playable and they have to have a non-playable animal race. But instead of having like, maybe, like Genlab, remember it has, it has animals that aren't sentient like you because you're 
half human, half animal, right? You literally splice DNA. So you still have like these weird future mutant creatures that you can go out and eat. But this setting solution is, now, uh, well, we don't have horses to pull wagons, so lizards do. Think, uh, well, we don't have meat to eat, so you eat the lizards also. I think uh, for every uh, every sort of setting thing, there's there's a question. Whereas uh, GenLab sort of nip, nip that in the bud quite nicely by having that sort of human splicing thing going it's, it's on. It's like a battle between you, your animal side, and your human side because you're an experiment. Like, it's, it's a pretty simple way around it. It, but it's because the people that wrote that had talent. So that's and, the difference. And, you know, by limiting it as well, uh, they've kind of made it better in a way, I think. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And it, it kind of seems like, to me, you know, as I said, the premise kind of fell apart once you started asking questions. Like, developers, one of them went to the other one, but hang on, we can play horses in this game, but what did the horses ride on? I don't know, a lizard. But also the fact that horses have to run about on two legs, right? Because they're anthropomorphic horses slows them down they're actually shitter than normal horses and it's a very horse-based game that word is starting to lose all meaning but anyway the game then goes on to explain how it works so the gm sets a difficulty by choosing a dice he then rolls the appropriate he then rolls against the appropriate skill from the player and this determines if he wins or loses so the higher the dice the better you are at the task and the higher the gm's dice the more difficult the dice uh, the task is which isn't a terrible mechanic at all, but magic in this game is just as dull and uninspired as the rest of the game. It's basically fantasy shit, really. You have elementalists who manipulate elements, white magic, black magic, and thaumaturgy magic, and the game never goes beyond the expected spell list for these. It's exactly what you'd expect. Heal wounds, magic missile, control fire, create water, the usual shit. So here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Why the fuck did they bother? Do you know what I mean? Why is this? Because it doesn't really hit any mark. It doesn't do all. anything unique, no, right? It it, despite the fact that you play as a fucking horse that rides then eats a lizard, right? It doesn't really do anything unique to fantasy. It basically does fuck all that's new. And it's just like... They just wanted to cram furry stuff into it and then uh, everything else was an afterthought. Really. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's that's the real trouble with it it's just completely shallow it does something you already know right but much worse because i'd rather play D or old school essentials or icrpg or any one of these things but the twist on the formula is obviously that you play as animals and it's so poorly realized you may as well just play D, pick human as a race you know for gameplay purposes and just say my character's a horse yeah it'd be the same fucking game but better yeah it would be a lot better yeah i mean i, th- I think that um I think that they just wanted to cram cram animals into the game and then uh, think of everything else afterwards. To be honest, well, well, the, the the biggest part, if we look at the history of the furry fandom, the biggest part of it seems to be hanging out, being a horse, hanging out with your mates who were like beavers or whatever, right? And in a sense, this game is only that. The only thing they concentrated on was. Let's make a game where you can be these things. We don't care if it's mechanically interesting, like Gen Lab, or like even the TMNT game is better than this. Yeah, but they're just uh, they're just then trying to grab that uh, market. Really, um, it's like you say you could do that in D and D, but better. Yeah, and the the focus is make your persona in this RPG. It does. It's not going to be mechanically interesting, but you can make it. And then D- in in D and D, it would be mechanically interesting. Exactly because, for example, I had one of the at that D and D game I played up the sh- the local shop. It was like 
one of the guys was the Raven race, whose name I can't fucking remember. And they can't talk. They can only repeat stuff they've heard before, but exactly like a recording. Do you see what I mean? And that is like, that's mechanical, like something mechanically interesting. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it is. That's the way to differentiate this shit. But in this game, it's just like, you're a horse plus two to fucking or whatever. Um, but that's basically it, Sean, for the world of furry RPGs. Um, those are the main ones available. Uh, you mentioned the Star Trek fan game, where it's the crew of the Enterprise, but they're horses. Uh, well, it's the yeah the crew. Oh, there were dogs in the picture. Well, it's like a, an alternate uh, universe where the whole uh, Star Trek universe is furry uh, stuff, and uh, basically uh, this went on for a long time. It was a passion project of a, of a few people that liked Star Trek and uh, liked furry stuff. Um, but in the end, uh, it stopped in 2007. Uh, the Angel Fire website uh, was up for a long time. Uh, oh, uh, that's a real shame. Uh, of course it was on Angel Fire, though. Um, yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, like, if you go on the Wayback Machine, you can probably find it. Um, but Well, yeah. I kind of wanted to find that one for this bloody thing, but I unfortunately couldn't find it anywhere, and that would be why, because the Angel Fire site went down. Uh, the uh, I'm so glad Angel Fire went down, because our old band's page is no longer findable. Uh, I'm kind of lucky, really, that we did all of our uh, sort of embarrassing stuff before Facebook and uh, YouTube came out. <laughs> well, because I often think this about, you know, the guy that, that so listeners, we're going to get off topic slightly here, but the guy that the air rare video, right? Yes, yeah. I was actually doing that type of shit when I was a teenager. Because I was like, I've I've got a computer, you know, it's new, it's technology, you know what I mean? And I remember once I wanted to, I made a floppy disk. And this is a pretty embarrassing story, but you're in this. <laughs> yeah. I was well into fucking Metal Gear when I was in, in, in school, right? And I made a floppy disk of like, I put some emulators on there to play the old MSX Metal Gear 2. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to have this like, little disc that had all my, you know, Metal Gear files on it. Uh, this was uh, when we wanted to take, uh, you know, stuff to school in IT class. Because we, we never really actually did anything in uh, IT. We just... Especially if you were a family that had a computer grown up. Like, yeah, it was oh, yeah, pointless. Yeah. Like, it was such basic shit. So I'd bring emulators on a floppy disk in, right? And I remember I wanted to have... Because our dad, R.I.P., rip in peace, he... He was obsessed with downloading WAVs for some reason. <laughs> like yeah, was, he just yeah. had WAVs of weird like Looney Tunes shit and stuff like this. And like random rips of A Team and stuff like that. It was really bizarre. Really bizarre. But anyway, I kind of wanted to have like my own collection of WAVs on this disc, but obviously the fucking disc is only two megabytes long. So I recorded my own WAV of Metal Gear Solid <laughs> clips. This is so embarrassing, I don't know why I'm saying this. But um it was just me doing the death theme from Metal Gear Solid into a shit microphone and these days uh, that would have gone viral on YouTube and because that fucking guy like so there's this guy that you you, if you listen to the show you've probably heard it you know a couple of times Um, it's basically he he did some new music for the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time but he doesn't have any music software so he just sort of did noises into a microphone he goes eh re eh re it's and so th- bizarre. And I think he uh, thought he was onto something there, uh, really. And but if we'd have had the internet at an earlier stage, we would have put this type of shit out there. That's well, the trouble. I know I would have. Yeah, we, we would have. I mean, uh, you know, it's the only way, you know, I mean, you did put, like, 
Uh, you did have a MySpace page and you did have music blare out as soon as you enter it, though, you know? Man, I miss those days. Like, I had fucking, like, Papa Roach on there and shit, man. <laughs> like, fucking MySpace. It was such a... Oh. But, you know, the, uh, I can't remember how we really got onto it. Oh, yeah, it was, it was the Star Trek with the Angel Fire site. We had... Sean and I were in a band when we were teenagers called Guitar Mageddon. And we had a website. And the funny thing about it was, is that... Um, well, we, we 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 talked a lot of shit, didn't we? I mean, on the yeah, website, we, we had our own forum and stuff, and a lot of people attended it based on the fa- the stuff that we said. And it was like, I remember us sort of upholding the values of true punk music and like fuck corporations and shit like this. Like when we were like thirteen years old. And then um, the funny thing is, the site sort of fell apart the second they heard any of our music. Yeah, did yeah, yeah, there was a massive load of hits, and then. Uh, like uh, there was a mass exodus on the forums, and it was a really popular website until the music got posted was, on there. It was amazing how popular. It Do you was, remember that yeah. woman that was like such a huge fan of everything we put? Like she would comment on everything, and then suddenly she heard the music and she's like, "Well, I'm just so I'm fucking so disappointed." Like, well, what did you really expect, though? To be honest? but I mean, I'm pretty glad that's gone because did you hear about the guy that got sent to jail for threatening to kill someone in RuneScape? Do you remember some of the awful stuff I said to the, the haters on the Katarmageddon website? I know, like, yeah. I'm going to fucking find you and I'm going to kill you. Um, yeah, but back then, I suppose we had thicker skin and we just said those things. That's yeah. what... I miss the early days of the internet, man. It was like the Wild West out there. Yeah, I remember was, just yeah. stumbling on a website that... Um, that offered credit card fraud for cheap prices. Like, it was fucking great, I mean, we, we got our fake IDs off the internet. <laughs> I didn't buy one, you did. Sean got a fake ID for a swimming club that he never went to and used it successfully to buy alcohol for a long time. Wow, we've really gotten off subject, right? But anyway, yes, the Star Trek RPG is lost to time, right? Uh, the only thing I could find on it was one picture. Mm. Yeah. And Sean sent me that picture and... Uh, well, it's just dogs in Star Trek outfits with huge tits, basically. I mean, it's exactly what you'd expect, but that's it, basically, for furry RPGs. We've mentioned the Star Trek one. Uh, there is a, an expansion for Iron Claw, which we just spoke about, called Jade Claw, um, which is basically Eastern fantasy. Uh, you know, you play tigers and shit. And, of course, some other games can be repurposed to be enjoyed by other kin. Um, and ultimately, as we said, I think you'd have a better time doing it. D&D, with its vast array of furry-type races, would actually be quite good to play. And World Tree has some in- interesting ideas, less rooted in the furry fandom culture. And maybe Furry Pirates is worth a bash, but 200 quid is way too much. But if you want to play an anthropomorphic game, there are good titles out there. Gen Lab Alpha, Mouse God, Barp. Uh, Barf is not one of those, but um, Gen Lab Alpha and uh, Mouse Guard are good. Um, just referencing an ancient episode, uh, Mouse Name. Um, but yeah, like they're they're both uh, both really good episodes actually. I mean, uh, not episodes, RPGs, RPGs. Uh, both. Uh, I mean, um, you know, uh, they're not. Uh, you know, they're not ones that you'd play for years. But Gen Lab Alpha I've, is good to run a campaign in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great, great thing. And and Mouse Guard, probably the same, but the I, I did have for a long time the box set and never got around to fucking playing it. But um, if I recall correctly, the Mouse Guard system got repurposed into a dungeon crawling game called Torchbearer, I think. Uh, I think that, that was the case. So it's, it's generic fantasy as well now, if you like the Mouse Guard system. But both of those games, like... They kind of were so far outside the furry shit 
they're, they're good. Do you they know were, what I mean? They were. They were, they were created by uh, non-furries. Right, exactly. But the RPGs specifically targeted at furries seem to just miss the point. It seems there's, you know, less of a focus on playing the game. And it's all about making your fursona. And as a result, it feels often like they forgot to put the fun in. Do you know what I mean? It's like they're more concerned with a bunch of details for making your fursona. And uh, that's basically it. So uh, that's furry RPGs. I've just slammed my papers down. Okay, furry RPGs, yes or no? Uh, Mostly no. All right, furry. I'd say about 99% no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the thing is, is that the well, playing as animals is a good idea for a game. Because I, because I, because I'd say Gen Lab Alpha like doesn't actually feel like a furry RPG. I mean, it's got it doesn't because it doesn't contain the art, the theme. Because the themes of furry games are so shallow. It's I think I'm a horse. I'm gonna be a horse. That's it. That's what the furry games consist of. Gen Lab Alpha, similarly to like nineteen, it's not nineteen eighty four. Animal Farm, right? is about using animals as a metaphor for certain types of human being, right? Yeah. Even yeah. to the point where it's about the struggle between being human and animal. Whereas Iron Claw is about, like, make this fucking neckbeard oh, beaver that, that, you've, that, you've, that, that you've always believed you are. Do you want a game to go with that? Yeah, okay, we'll give that to you. But it's basically right. like Nando's yeah, side dish. Yeah, but, like, the character creation... Bowl of rice. <laughs> Like even actually, actually, the character creation is is still a bit thin. I mean, if you wanted to create your perfect, um, and I hate to use this word, persona, um, like D and D is quite expansive on that front. Three hundred different fucking races, and you can just still play with a bunch of people that just want to be the normal fantasy races. I imagine because D and D, I'd I'd say it takes about half an hour to create a character. Mm. Imagine like how detailed and specific you could get in that time. Well, exactly. Like, especially with the stats you've got, and then you... Yeah, there's a much more... You can build characters in a multitude of ways in D&D. I mean, it's not the best fucking game out there. No, it's not. But if not, we're just taking no. it as the standard fucking role-playing game, it's still got more options than Ironclaw has. And even then, they're more interesting than the game made specifically for furries. Okay, or the, in D&D, they might be taken 100% seriously. Like, the tabaxi aren't meant to be a race for furries. They're just... If you want to play a cat person, like a Khajiit from fucking Skyrim, but... The, but mechanically they're just a little bit better and if you did want to play it as a furry you'd have a good time in fact the people I played with at the shop did and they also were quite weird and sexual <laughs> which <laughs> I thought oh that was sort of leading up like I was sort of hopeful that I was like leading up to it and I thought oh like no the unfortunate thing one of them was a 15 year old boy who Oh, I could, well, I probably should just end that sentence there, but he was a bit fucking weird, basically. Um, I, a future serial killer in the it's, making. It's unfortunate uh, lack of parenting. Seems that way. Also, he was middle class. So the, the, it just goes to... Sh- because, you know why it is? It's because fursuits are really fucking expensive. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's what it is. Uh, fursuits are really expensive. Uh, the parents are working so hard that they forget about everything else. And then, and then uh, their son just won't shut up. Oh, I just want a first thing, mum. Uh, I want to go yiffing. You're uh, fifteen. What's yiffing? Don't then, worry about it. And then that, yeah, <laughs> and then that becomes an annoyance. So they buy the fursuit. And then people say, no, but your son is acting very strangely. And then she'll say, no, my son is not acting strangely at all. 
<laughs> this is such a weird situation. No, my son is not acting strangely at all. But there he, he's chasing my dog around the front garden and he's dressed like a dog. What the fuck is going on? What is that huge erection he has? Talking about a above age man, of course. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but for, okay, so furry role playing games basically not worth diving into, but furries. Worth diving into? Um, no. Uh, Good. I'll, well, like, um, there are, you know... What like, if you just fucking love vaping and dubstep? Um, like, I, I, I like both of those things separately. Um, but, um, basically, um, the thing with fairies is there are, uh, there are a percentage of them that like the aesthetic of the anthropomorphic animals. Animals. And, uh, yeah, uh, there are a small percentage, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of weirdos out there. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people did create these RPGs and you see the ones that aren't uh, weird are the ones that are created by non-fairies. Well, precisely. I mean, anthropomorphic shit doesn't have to be weird. It's just that the furries made it weird. And I'm sorry, right, if this whole thing comes across as hateful, because we are having a dig at a certain subculture. It's not that I hate furries, but the percentage of them that do turn out to be sex criminals, the percentage of them that will just talk about it at any inopportune moment, whether or not it it makes you feel uncomfortable, both quite high. Both quite high. And 100% of the fucking time, or 99% of the time, I should say, they're escaping from something. Do you know what I mean? And it's like... I, I get it, right? I've always been of the opinion that if you enjoy it and it's not hurting anyone, then who cares, right? But in the specific case of furries, the person it's hurting is usually the person that's hiding behind that fucking mask. Do you know what I mean? Because they're not facing up to things. They're saying, no, there's no way I could possibly have a life as shit as mine. In fact, what's really happening is this isn't my body. I'm a beaver and I want to go out and have sex with other beavers. I mean, that is fucking weird, (laughs) isn't it? I mean, just face up to the problems you have in your life and understand. We, I mean, what we do is fundamentally weird and it is escapism. But there's a certain level when you go, I no longer believe I am myself. Right, and I'm I'm not comparing them to trans people because that's legitimate. You're not a beaver. You may be a woman or a man, but you're not a beaver. Fact. You're, you're definitely not beaver. Um, even if that's your spirit animal, I mean, I, I, Look, yeah. the Native Americans had it right. They didn't dress up as beavers, but they were beavers. I just like the word beaver. I just think it's a really funny animal. I don't think I've ever seen a beaver furry before. Oh, anyway, this was fun. But yeah, furries, no. Furry RPGs, no. Beavers. uh, Well, we like real beavers. um, Beavers, like us, are a big destructor of the environment. Damn. (laughs) 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 All right, let's, let's move on, man. Let's go to Electro Letters. In the future, you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. So, obviously, I, d- I didn't really ask for any specific uh, topic for Electro uh, Letters this time. So we're just going to read out some correspondence from some fans. We've got two sort of decent questions and then one really idiotic one. So, uh, Terry Hansen, he comes in, he says, I'll ask an actual RPG-related question, something he rarely does. What is your opinion on solo RPGs or GM-less games? I know you're a fan of the fighting fantasy series. If you don't mind, I'll kick this off. I want to just say, I'm not really a fan of the fighting fantasy series. I was when I was a child, 
Would you play one now? Uh, not really, no, not really. Uh, it's good when you, it is good when you're a kid, though. Yeah, because because they were in the school library and you could play a game while you were sitting there during reading time. That's it. Yeah, in between reading, uh, you know, the the same graphic novel for the fiftieth time. I've got a lot of like uh, nostalgia for fighting fantasy, especially the PS One. Death Trap Dungeon game because that's where I really discovered it. I, I played that game, discovered the books, and then fucking loved them. And it's probably what gave me my taste for role playing games. But I wouldn't say I'm a fan of it now. I played um, Tunnels and Trolls, a couple of solo things, and um, I don't know if you did this, but you'd often have to have two d6 to use with the fighting fantasy books, right? Yeah. But you never would because you're in class reading, so you would just you auto, would... auto win every scenario, right? But it would be more about choosing the different options. Yeah. But when I played Tunnels and Trolls and did some of the solo adventures and actually rolled it, and when I died, all it means is you're going to have to go right back to the beginning and read the same text entries again Yeah. to get to where you were, so you might as well just go, I win. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, you need a bit of rules to it. And, uh, you know, um, a lot of the time we we won't, you know, if we've died so many times, we won't really put the... Well, you know, like, even if you roll up a new character and go, he thinks this way, well, you're not going to go down the path that previously killed another character. You'll just start from where you left off. But if there is a flaw, uh, usually it is is in our nature to exploit it really to be honest well quite and also because it would be really terribly terribly boring if you didn't I have to say some solo adventures are really fucking good the the uh, Alice in Wonderland Tunnels and Trolls one's pretty good the Japanese one's pretty good in terms of story but the only thing is is that it's ultimately pointless because if you die well do you really want to read the same text entries again no not not at all really um, so uh, I don't know I think they're inherently flawed there's something called the mythic GM emulator now I've never actually used it but Richard Walcock used it with Manuel to run some Savage Worlds I think so and that's not going to mean much to anyone but like basically two friends of ours and game designers and um, they said they had a really good time with it had a great story to the two of them were characters and then the GM emulator which is a book you you roll from uh, emulates the GM but I did once get asked along to a game a Warhammer game and once we were starting it the guy was like yeah so I'm thinking I'm going to play a dwarf and I went hang on a minute is this a GM NPC GM PC thing and he was just like no we're using Mythic GM emulator for this and I just went no I'm alright mate and then just <laughs> left immediately because I was like that sounds rubbish if the, the fact of the matter is, is in this hobby um, if you're the one that's getting the group together you're probably going to have to GM and you're not going to play but just suck it up I feel like this stuff is kind of there for people that can't get a group together or want to be a player yeah um, and uh, a lot of people seem to have a a, 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 a a lot of people seem to have a GM uh, someone who just GMs for the group all the time um, but maybe uh, you could try like us switching up well, yeah, I mean, with our group, um, I'm the main GM, but I, I got the group together, and I'm mostly GM. I mean, you haven't GM for three fucking years. You've had the opportunity, but you gave I, your spot to me to run D&D. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I used to come in a lot and uh, do stuff, but, um, you know, now I'm... I'm now you're free of the hag. <laughs> Hagless. But, Hagless. Suspect is Hagless. Um... <laughs> Nice no, Simpsons. Um, yeah, um, basically, um, 
yeah, just uh, try having a conversation with your uh, GM and uh, like if you're interested in running a game. Uh, I know. guarantee you they want to take a fucking break. Yeah, but I don't think solo would. RPGs are the answer. They would because uh, a lot of uh, you know anecdotes of GMs is they uh, you know often get fed up with the hard work and want a shortcut and stuff. They'll they'll probably be happy for you to take the load off them for a bit. Mm, totally, totally, um, and, and so solo RPGs can seem like a seem like a solution to this, but they really fucking aren't. It doesn't no, feel no. like being a player; it just doesn't. We tried it as well. We have tried it. Yeah, but any, in any case, yeah, I agree with you. We got a little bit off topic there, but that's uh, that's fine. Uh, Lewis Pineda, he says, when introducing Savage Worlds to new players, what genre do you think works best? Right now, I'm looking at doing a zombie slash outer space salvage game, like a cross between the movies Event Horizon and 28 Days Later. So I can have a balance of using multiple skills, dramatic tasks, combat, and role-playing. Is this going to be too much? Should I just make it generic Euro fantasy? Uh, actually, uh, to be honest, that, that actually sounds perfect for Savage Worlds. It's, that is pure fucking Savage That's Worlds. Because the, the the zombie and outer space stuff, it means, as we said earlier, Savage Worlds does gunfights really well. It um, can do hordes really well with like swarm rules, stuff like this. It does survival really well. It really fucking does. And uh, yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head. You're balancing a bunch of stuff. My biggest fucking advice would be, and this is a, a bit of advice that came from my mate Gary. If you're introducing people to Savage Worlds, don't run fantasy because all your players will do is compare it to D&D. They won't see what makes it good. They'll just go... Here's why I don't prefer this to D&D. But if you get them in a gunfight in a futuristic setting versus zombies or maybe, you know, other roving gangs of people trying to survive, that's where Savage Worlds fucking shines. You know, gunfights are so fucking good. So you introduce that and you'll teach people right away how fucking good Savage Worlds is. I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, like uh, a lot of people that have... Uh sat down and uh, just played Savage Worlds, get into it within 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, this is... Uh, I've seen people play D&D for a year and not know how to play it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't. I mean, yeah, like, uh, well, I did. I, I did, but I still had to ask a lot of questions. But um, Run the game you want to run. If you're running something just to appease your players, you're going to get GM burnout really quickly. And the best campaigns come from somebody running something they want to run. You're, you're um, uh, gearing up to run a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles campaign, which is apt. And the thing is, I know that most of our players, if they were to pick any genre, they wouldn't pick anthropomorphic mutated turtles. But were they? But, no, but no, playing no. in it with the GM that's passionate about that thing... Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, they'd find something in there, you know, like when they create their characters, they'll find something in there that they want to be or something. And especially in Savage Worlds, which has so many so many options. But yeah, he's saying, should I just make it generic Euro fantasy? And the answer no. is no. Do what you want to do, because when you're passionate about it, your players will be too. Yeah, and that, that uh, you know, that sounds wicked, the uh, combination of what you got. So. Well, there is a setting for, for Savage Worlds, and I've just remembered the fucking name of it, that is exactly what Lewis Pineda is describing, and it's called... I've forgotten it again. Uh, zombie Squad. That's it. Zombie Squad. And it's it's essentially this. It's literally this. So it's Suicide Squad in space. So you're prisoners that have been let out of a vast space colony. Um, zombies, as in you're living dead, because any point they could activate your collar and blow you up. And you're getting sent off to do missions for the government. 
So Zombie Squad, check it out. I've heard it's not actually that great, but there is an NPC in it named after me, and also there is, uh, you know, some pretty good ships and character options for that type of campaign. So I would give if it a anything, shot. like a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the supplements for Savage Worlds have have uh, brilliant ideas in them and stuff. So well, yeah, and you and and they you can because they're uh, you know a ubiquitous system, you can cross pollinate. I mean, look at Firefly. Firefly is basically a western in space, right? I mean, so exactly. get Deadlands, get fucking Zombie Squad, and you've got a fucking great setting <laughs> in your hands. Like that's that, that's the shit, man. So John Williams, he comes in with a final question here. John Williams, what the John Williams? Sean, we've made this joke on a podcast before, and he doesn't like it. Oh, it's a John Williams, unfortunately. But we have said this before, and he's like, "Thank you for comparing my n- name to the John Williams for the fifty thousand composer." Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of like. Do you uh, want to say sorry now, or should we do it when he complains? Well, it's kind of like me though, because uh, for look, th- of course, because I'm thirty six years old, and uh, my my name is spelled in the Irish way, and uh, you know, I, Sean's name. I've had to roll with it, really. That's such rubbish, man. You you had one Chinese guy you used to work for that called you Shane or Shane. Um, a lot of people make fun of my name. Well, good, because you just made fun of John Williams, right? And he's Wait, fucking crying. Are we he's cu- crying. Are we cutting this? Or? Possibly. Right. <laughs> so he comes in with like a bunch of really weird questions. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to fire them off at you, right? And you just answer them like really quick, succinct answers. Right. How many scrums can you fit into a scrum diddly umptious? Five. Good answer. Do snozberries really taste like snozberries? No. Why are all British people like Willy Wonka? Because we were all birthed from him. It's a bit of a weird thing to say. And where is that darn chocolate factory? Uh, Birmingham. Have you ever thought about how your podcast is the best DCC RPG podcast? Never. <laughs> it's because it's not yours. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> Will you be doing more musical things in the podcast? I like that you're a guest and you're answering these ones. Will we? Yes. Thank you. Why do you think taking 20 vitamin D supplements leads to a good time? Because... Say something like... It's because of our outro. uh, Because of our outro, this leads me to enjoy vitamin D. You're an idiot. You're a fucking idiot. He's... He's making a joke because I say D20s are cool, but 20Ds... Yeah, I know, but... Right. Okay, but... Right, but you... Well, That's all flew off my head. Shut up. Do you think some people just need to lighten up and have a good time? Uh, Sometimes. Also, have you ever thought about having someone on the show with a sexy American accent to increase your female demographics? Have you ever thought about that? Hell yeah. No, because Americans sound stupid. Fact. (laughs) See? (laughs) That was a passing American. (laughs) We shouldn't drink when we do these, man. All right, that's it for questions. Thank you very much for sending those in. I'm sorry that John Williams sent in such rubbish ones, but uh, we've insulted him, and uh, that makes up for it, I think. Where's the dagger? It's right here, it's right here, it's right here. Give me the dagger. Thank you. All right, Sean, hit me with the socials. Socials, uh, Facebook. Um, you can go on Facebook to... You can. You can go on Facebook. You can go on Facebook. Don't, don't listen to what people fucking tell you, man. You can go on Facebook. Can um, they? As long as they're above 13. Um, they can go on Facebook. Uh, if you're above the 13 age, you can go on Facebook and you can find the 3T RPG on there. You more can, importantly. Um, you could also, more importantly, you could like go on other stuff like Simpsons bought posting. And uh, I do like Simpsons bought posting, but we're supposed to be 
promoting the fucking no you know what we should be doing is promoting our other podcasts okay yeah that we update so infrequently uh, we're, we're, well I'm going to promote Teach Me Senpai which is our anime podcast well, that's coming back soon that's coming back soon and if you like this show you probably like that because we have reviewed hentai on it uh, yes and it was a, a nightmare um, but basically I'm going to uh, I'm going to promote this uh, promote this one and uh, yeah 3 T. <laughs> what was that yeah I'm going to promote this one uh, no, that's what I'm going to do no this podcast I'm going to promote this podcast what 3 RPG podcast yeah I'm going to promote no you fucking idiot we've got another one out there. I have a particular fondness for this po- particular podcast promote our other one you fucking dick um, what other one what, teach, How have you forgotten? What, um, Teach Me Senpai. What's the other podcast you and I do together specifically? Uh, fresh uh, Podcast of Bel Air. Thank you. Right. That is a show that we haven't updated in about a year. Um, but Sean is free of the hag now, and, and we're going to start doing it again. We are going to start doing it again. So uh, hold this space for Fred, Fresh Podcast Bel Air. We're going to be doing it. And if you couldn't understand Sean's fucking, like, drunken drawl there, it was Fresh Podcast of Bel Air. Not no. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I really, um, yeah. I really, like. I really enjoyed making that. It was good. Fresh podcast. <laughs> the two episodes we did in the space of a year. Um, but we are going to start doing that again. So we actually are. Um, we were going to get maybe record one tonight, but it's gone on a bit long, hasn't it? So yeah, yeah it has. Yeah. Just give it another year. We'll have episode no, three not out. A year. No, no. All right. Six a month. months. A month. Two months. Two months. Two months. We'll have episode three out. Can yeah. we promise that? No, we're not promising anything. But this is our statement of intent. Anyway, I've been Harrison Hunt. And I've been Sean Hunt. And just remember that D20s are cool, but taking 20 vitamin D supplements, well, I mean, you're just going to get diarrhea. Goodbye, everyone. But then you take the gonorrhea to get rid of the diarrhea. Nice. <laughs>